La, 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 you can't hear it, Ricardo, la, la, but the, the, the intro has been started. La, la, oh. la, 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 it's a special show, Sean. Really special. Yeah. <laughs> we have a special guest today. Well, I don't know. It's it's like a, it's a mayday, mayday. South African farms are being taken. Uh, we are we are calling South Africa right now to, to make sure that Monero's uh, fluffy pony is not being currently murdered. So we're gonna check in with him. All right. Hey everybody, this is John Seth, and you're listening to John Seth's World. I'm here with my co-host, Sean, aka Camboy Sean. Camboy Sean, and our special guest, Fluffy Pony. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it for you, Fluffy. I think this signal takes a long time to get there because it's in South Africa. It's a lot of miles. Yeah, and and they, um, you know, I mean, like South African internet's pretty racist. Oh fuck yeah! Right, it's completely right. Ra- um, Fluffy, to start off with, I want to talk a lot about Monero today just because, you know, you're here. But can we talk a little bit about the the weird situation in America? If you were to ask somebody what's going on in South Africa, they, they might, I mean, a lot of, particularly on the conservative side, would tell you that it's burning and all white people are getting murdered. So, I mean, you live there. So are you being stabbed at this very moment? What's going on? At this very moment, no. But I'm obviously in my underground bunker, um, you know, armed to the teeth with machine guns because I could be murdered at any minute, right? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. <laughs> is your farm is your is your farm safe? Well, I don't have a farm. Well, good. So <laughs> my house is fine. Um, no, it's you know, I mean, like like there's, I, I think a lot of people think that, well, they think stuff based on um what they've heard and not based on what they've observed um and if you're going to go based on what you've heard that's fine but like how are you fact checking you know and and unfortunately most people's idea of fact checking is well i saw it on fox news and why would anyone on fox news lie that's donald trump's version Uh, of fact checking yeah well, but so um, what is what's so, actually going on then? Because the, the problem in South Africa for Americans is that it's a black hole, and I don't mean that racistly. I mean that in in the way that we have no way of knowing what's going on there. Well, we call it an African American hole. So, Sean's been in one of those. Not... <laughs> <laughs> Mine. So I guess. Uh, you know, look, in, in all seriousness, um, South Africa's history, uh, apartheid in particular, obviously, is not something that, uh, that as a country, I think we've really um, fixed. And I don't know if it's a thing you can fix. I think that, that the correction of those wrongs is something that takes decades and generations. Um, and in the meantime, you've got people who are living lives that are terrible as a direct result of those act of the actions that were taken under apartheid and they're and they're still um, alive and like nelson mandela just died so like i mean apartheid in your in your country is is literally like it's something you can remember not you necessarily but other people i guess you have the accent so maybe you've been there a while um uh, i can absolutely remember it and yeah. i mean it's but you know we have like like the, the change in government only happened uh 19 no uh, 22 years ago 
So, um, you know, 1995. So we're talking about 22 years is nothing. You know, there's 60-year-olds um, then that are still alive. Yeah. So it's not even, yeah. it's not even like, oh, well, it's only kids that, that uh, you know, that won't remember it. And so, so we're very, very far away from multiple generations having, having uh, really passed. So I think given that, it's, it's no wonder that there are people, even young people, people who were born after apartheid ended, um, who, who feel that there is, there is still an, an imbalance. And the, there are a lot of people who, um, who maybe don't really understand how this plays out. So as an example... Um, of where this actually practically plays out. Um, white people make up 7% of the population here. Oh, wow. But if you go on a, on a domestic flight, a domestic flight, um, depending on where you're flying from, but for the most part, a domestic flight will be 50% plus white South Africans. Really? Um, yeah. It's, you know, like, like, again, I mean, depending on where you're flying from and so on, but there is a... Um, it is there's an economic imbalance that has not been thoroughly corrected. Um, How does one correct so that I, though? Because like it seems it seems like the government uh, remedies for correction, uh, you know the the tools of government they're difficult because they're they're sort of like these like blunt these blunt tools of taxation or or taking things from other people um, and and you know redistribution and such. It's not. It's not in any way sort of an elegant uh, surgical fix of sorts, right? Of sorts. Not at all. And, and it goes. It go, and I, I mean, it, it goes against American sensibilities because we like, for example, capitalist fixes, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I mean, you know, again, I don't know what the fix is, but I can tell you that that it probably involves like spending a lot of money on on education, but doing so 22 years ago. You know, right? Like not right. Here. right. And would that now. mean the remedy today, though, is to spend a lot on education today, like get it as quick as possible? Start like because I mean, inequities do eventually sort of wash out, but it takes a long time. And I think the difference between like the American slave institution and South Africa is, as we were saying, there are people in South Africa that do, in fact, remember and and are currently affected by it. People that were guilty of embracing a system of apartheid. Um, that are still alive and still operating in that society, which is very different than the U.S. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think, I think, like, yeah, maybe, maybe that's uh, the, the education things are changed that they could do now. But the problem that they're facing is there are people that are saying, like, well, well, why can't we? You know, that's only going to fix things for like my great granddaughter. I don't want to fix things for my great granddaughter. I want to fix things for me and my wife. We haven't even had kids yet. I want to fix things for me and my girlfriend. But, I don't want yeah. to think about successive generations. That's you're, crazy. You're not going to have kids, Fluffy. You're 60, so you're you're done. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm done. Um, I have well. As it applies to Bitcoin, I mean, there, there's some really interesting things that have occurred in South Africa, one of one of which as a result of the apartheid, and I don't know if you remember this, but I hope you do, because I'd like you to talk about it. Um, you, you guys are the creator of the Krugerrand, right? Yes. And one of the neat things about Not the Krugerrand, well, yeah, okay, well, you you aren't stamping them, but one of the cool things about the Krugerrand is it, I mean, it's it's one of the first ways in which people started to acquire gold. Again, after in the United States, uh, the government sort of you know mandated that everyone give it to the government, right? Um, and and frankly, the Krugerrand, its its legacy is that many nations have since then begun minting uh, gold coins post Krugerrand. 
And the reason that other nations are minting coins is because worldwide there became a very, very uh, interesting sort of boycott on the, on the Krugerrand, wherein people stopped buying it because they decided that it supported apartheid. So, I mean, do you remember that? Yeah, I mean, like, there were trade sanctions. It wasn't, it wasn't even just people taking a moral stance. Um, there they were, they were, was a time where you literally just could not get Krugerrands out of South Africa um, because you couldn't sell them anywhere. Really? Yeah, there's, I mean, there were all sorts of, like, South Africa was, was, um, uh, was, have like, like, objectively rejected from all sorts of things. I mean, we were blocked from, from competing in the Olympic Games. There was, like, it was crazy. Well, you guys aren't very good at Olympics anyway, so it was probably fine. Not, not too much of a loss. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, th- I mean that's that's a, it's it's a it's a weird history because there aren't that many countries that have like that like there's ra- racism everywhere, but like not that many countries have the legacy of apartheid, particularly in modernity that South Africa has. Right? You guys are are recently coming off of it, and it's very interesting to me because um, at the same time at the same time you're coming off it, it seems like South Africa and South Africans generally want to remediate the situation. Yeah, I, I think there's a, you know, th- there's a general sense amongst people, yeah, regardless of skin color, um, whether they are mixed race or of Indian descent or um, uh, black or white, if they are born in South Africa, they want to fix things, they want things to get better, they want to move past, move past the past, and and that's not an easy thing, um, nor is it a thing that happens overnight. But one thing I will say that is good is despite all the um, the aggressive talk from some politicians who are, uh, I, I mean, it's really just pre-election um, uh, filibustering. And, are, are, and, they in, are they in the minority know, there? The- oh, yeah. I mean, like the majority of politicians mm-hmm. are not saying we need to kill people or anything stupid like that. Um, you know, there's like, like, again, regardless of skin color. Um, but there, there are a lot of people who are taking a more measured approach and saying, yes, we need to right the wrongs, and yes, we need to fix things, and yes, yes, it would be great if um, if we were able to to correct the imbalance. But they they're doing so through um, through legal means. You know, it's like let's have a test case, let's take that test case to court, let's see what happens, let's take it to the constitutional court to see if it complies with the constitution or not. I mean, there, there's no, there is no movement happening. There are no murders happening um, in the streets. There's no people moving into my house. There's none of that um, beyond the regular murders that happen because you know there are places in South Africa that are as violent as like Detroit. You do. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I think you mean Chicago. Um, you do. You do have a, a crime problem there, don't you? Yeah, it's it's. But it, again, I mean, like, so there's. There are two ways to look at it. The, um, or there's, there's two things that, are, that I'm cognizant of. The first is that there is a lot of crime that comes from um, the massive wealth disparity. You know, it, it's, it's got nothing to do with, um, with the person's skin color. It's got to do with like, hey, here's most of the population in poverty, and here's this like, whatever, 20, 30% that are, that are doing okay. And when those people step out of their, their zone and they, they, um, they resort to something like crime, then they do so regardless of the skin color of the person that they're stealing from. Um, and in fact, if you look at the statistics, 
which is again largely because the bulk of the population in South Africa is black. Um, the population statistics are largely black people stealing from black people because that matches up with the population statistics. So it's unsurprising. There, there's a book called The Great Leveler. Um, it's it's by a guy named Walter Scheidel. Have you read this? I have not. So it's it, it's a book about how to how to or how in the history uh, we've seen like inequality sort of rooted out. And his claim is that inequality uh, has historically been rooted out through war and blight and other none such, and that it's never really been done through like political means in a way that's successful, other than to say uh, by causing huge amounts of destruction. So, I mean, for me, like looking at South Africa, I think it's a really interesting case study in trying to figure out how you can kind of uh, buck that paradigm and get out of uh, a weird, a weird situation of inequality uh, without the without the gulags if you will yeah and and whether that's something that is even possible even possible regardless of um, context i don't know but i mean i'm i'm not a i'm not a political expert and i largely think that every political system we've tried to date has been a massive failure so yeah I'm, you know i'm expecting this one to be a massive failure too except communism which we all love <laughs> 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 I, I do. I do think it's interesting because, like, I think that there's a like you can take a lot of historical evidence, and I think I think the Great Leveler is actually a, a really decent book uh, for the reason that you look. You know, it's it's good to look at sort of how history has has uh, has treated these um, these these sort of problems, and I think it's pretty clear that it's a, it's one of the hardest problems we've ever tried to solve, and I don't know that you can do it. I don't know that you can solve it without killing everybody, and that's I think that's the difficulty. Of uh, of the discussion going on in South Africa, because it it seems like they want to very strongly buck the trend, um, and I I'm skeptical that you can, but I'm also hopeful that you can. Those those are two things that I, I, I two two uh, opinions I have in my heart. I I tend to agree. You know, I mean, like we'll see what happens, but I I think that there's a I, I generally get the sense that this is just not going to be it's not a solvable problem. Um, and so why are we even wasting our time? Okay, because everyone wants to waste their time. Sure, no problem. Let's carry on then. Yeah. And are, are you, like, is there violence? Like, you told me that in the city, it's pretty good. Everyone gets along. Pretty oh, yeah. much everyone's fine. Yeah, but I mean, I'm, I'm, in the, a, I'm in a small town. I'm in a, a town with a population of 30,000, and everyone just gets along because no one has time for stuff like this. But in the country, it's it can be a little more dangerous in, in like, the far-off regions of the... Nether yeah, so <laughs> region, Netherlands. So, so... <laughs> yeah, you ever thought about that's that's a name, the Netherlands. It's the nowhere place. Yeah, in the Nether region, um, <laughs> off my body. Um, no, but it's it's true. I mean, like in obviously, um, you you've again got this massive wealth disparity on farms where farm owners appear to to have a great um, to a farm worker. Who who may come you know may come from a, a background of very little or no education, and they have no clue about uh, you know what the complexities are of running a farm, and so from their perspective, sure they might think well this dude's super rich, and so I can steal from him, and and farmers being uh, remote they're also considered much softer targets. Yeah. Um, uh, and and the stuff if, like like obviously you know farmers <clears throat> in South Africa as in the states are rough and ready in in many ways um they grow up with like like having to deal with uh, with wild animals they grow up with guns they grow up with all of that 
And so a lot of those altercations end up being violent. And, they, and, and you know, when farmers protect their, their, um, uh, their stuff. Um, and I think that that's, that's kind of difficult. Um, I don't really know. I, you know, there's, a, there's a, a couple of really good articles on Africa Check. Um, and Africa Check is a website that does fact-checking um, for stupid claims that people make. Um, and they've got a whole fact sheet on farm murders and on how hard it is to actually find statistics on farm murders or, or to build reputable statistics on farm murders. But the statistics we do have seem to indicate that there is not a mass culling of white farmers happening, and nor is there a white genocide. Yeah, I mean that that is that is a claim right now that that a lot of not not so much that there's a white genocide. I'm hearing more the claim that like the conditions are right for a white genocide. Yeah, so there's a um, there's a website called Genocide Watch. Um, I, I read that a lot actually, <laughs> particularly yeah. right now. And, I've been reading a lot on genocides. It's they're the hardest books I've ever read in my life. I get about three or about a quarter of the way through them before I have to read another book and then come back to them. Yeah, it is. It is pretty. I mean, it's pretty crazy. You know, it's not like, like genocide in particular. You know, the to, to even think about the, the the um, implications of stuff like that. Um, but but genocide watch is a great resource for anyone who, um, is concerned that maybe there is a genocide happening in a particular place on the earth. Um, GenocideWatch.com. Um, and uh, they rate different countries based on, um, on, on information that they gather. Um, and they, they confirm that South Africa is not currently in a genocide situation. Wow. Yeah, it, it's, it is, it's odd for us because, like, you end up with these, these reports. And, and, and the other thing is, is, like, all we have in the U.S. really are the rhetorical, you know, meanderings of politicians and it sounds to me like the most bombastic, loud politicians in South Africa are what sound like people who want to go and murder white people. Yeah, you know, and it's. <laughs> I always find it ironic when, um, when, when like uh, Julius Malema says stuff, um, and that that is, you know, it's sort of like sounds crazy some of the stuff that he says. Um, and he's like, oh, you know, we must do this and we must do that and we must take the land back and, we, you know, we must, like, if people get in our way, we'll just kill them. And meanwhile, like, half of his security that's around him is white. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's like, okay, I get it. You know, like, this is a political. Uh, to, to a, it, it is. And to a large degree, um, again, like, next year is an election. So there is a lot of stuff that's, saying, that's being said because there is an election next year and they need to win the hearts and minds of people. And how do you win the hearts and minds of the downtrodden? Well, you promise them free stuff. Yeah, that's, that's true. Simple as that. Yeah, that's true. I, okay, cool. I, we can move on from that. I, I, I think that's very interesting because like, I, I think that a lot of, a lot of us uh, in Bitcoin in particular are, I think, I, I think that we're more right-leaning on the whole. Which means that a lot of us get our news from places like Drudge Report or something like that, um, or or at least you know we'll check in there. So I, I think I think that it's important to have sort of these fact check, these sort of like reality checks. And and honestly, I think it's also important to acknowledge how little we can possibly know, given that we are not on the ground in places where like we're hearing prop what sounds like crazy 
genocidal rhetoric on our end. Absolutely. So anyhow, um, on that note, Fluffy, let's talk a little bit about Monero, a thing you know nothing about. <laughs> I'm so fresh to it. Let's talk about it. Cool. Um, okay, I think I think we should start with uh, some of the the recent security concerns that people have been bringing up. Uh, talk a little bit about that. I'll give you some pushback, uh, maybe because I really don't know anything. So, um, but like we've we've been we've been hearing a lot about the fact that sort of the ring signature protocol has been broken, uh, or at least was in the early versions of Monero that you guys have released a fix, um, but that it's still affected by some of those early uh, those early trackable. Uh, outputs and transactions, if you will. So um, can, can we talk a little bit about that, that report that was put out uh, regarding Monero's ring signature algorithm and how easy it is to sort of trace those transactions? Sure. So I, I think what's what's important to understand here is Monero's um, on-chain privacy really consists of three components. Um, stealth addresses which remain unbroken and are the equivalent of encrypting the destination address where a transaction is going. Uh, and then confidential transactions, which is the CT part of Ring CT. Um, and that, again, basically encrypts the amounts that are being transacted. That is not broken, um, not affected at all. Um, and then there's this <clears throat> other part, which is where a transaction is coming from. So, you know, can we, can, if we know that a um, transaction withdrawal happened um, from this bad wallet. Can we trace it um, to where it was where it eventually went to an exchange because we know all the the deposits that an exchange received? Um, and that's the thing that you want to be able to do. Now, the further you go down the wire from that transaction, the further the greater the number of hops, the harder that becomes in Monero because each transaction in Monero appears to spend multiple transactions. Um, and, uh, and very early on in Monero's history, you were able to create a transaction that didn't have those, th that, that quality, that um, didn't have multiple, um, uh, multiple uh, decoys, that it only had this true, the, the true output being spent. Well, was it very early and on, or, or wasn't it recent that you guys sort of fixed that? No, we fixed that in 2016. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, maybe even 20, might have been 2015. It was 2015 or 2016. We fixed that years ago. That, that, in fact, I can tell you the exact date. Um, that, that, um, let's see. Yeah. So, so um, back in the day, it was a Tuesday, uh, 2016, <laughs> March. So March 2016, we, we was when um, uh, those transactions were forbidden. And, and um, is there is there legacy problems with that though? Because like if you could trace those old outputs, if there's money coming from them, doesn't that doesn't that make those uh, new transactions a little bit less secure, or, or does it matter? Well, I mean, it, it the the thing is, those old outputs are ne are not included in ring signatures, so it kind of doesn't matter. Um, it's you know the if if we still allowed them to be you know when you if you're cleaning out an old wallet, then then it's different. Then there's a um, a special type of transaction that lets you sweep unmixable transact uh, unmix uh, unmixable outputs um, into a new mixable output, um, and uh, and that is um, you know that that for example is something that is largely uh, the same as the old ones. 
um, but you're sweeping old outputs. And at this point in time, even you know, even someone who's restoring a very very old um, Monero wallet is uh, they're unlikely. I mean, like like they are likely to have moved those funds um, over time. You right. know, there's uh, like like deep cold storage. Um, I, I don't think is something that uh, that that was ever very popular, uh, <laughs> because Monero was largely a coin that people mined and sold on on exchanges for Bitcoin. Um, and it's for Bitcoin exactly. Yeah. So, it, so it's not, it's not like people are going. I know this is gonna this has potential to be successful. So what I'm gonna do is um, stick twenty thousand Monero um, in a in a cold wallet and not touch it for ten years. What what are you well so what about the critiques of like the fact that for example if you mix a transaction um, almost invariably the transaction that you're mixing the the most recent output is going to be from the wallet that you're sending it from so it, which yes. essentially you know uh, unveils the user's wallet that is actually doing the transaction so what what about that criticism because that that seems salient so that, to that, me that seems salient. Absolutely, and and it is uh, you know again like people do typically tend to spend money. We see it in Bitcoin. Um, tip, they typically tend to spend money from from that they've received pretty quickly. So um, then then the trick there is you is that you weight the output selection um, accordingly, and that's precisely what we've done. So when those decoys are selected, there are a whole bunch of decoys selected from very recent blocks. So there's no way to tell if um, the 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 outputs being spent um those decoys from recent blocks are yours or just decoys because they're from a period of time which in which we would expect people to be spending money and then there's some old outputs that are selected as well just in case you're moving old funds and is that stuff that you have to set up in your monero client or is that stuff that's like auto sort of auto uh configured when when someone downloads a client it's, it's automatically configured and uh, the Monero Research Lab has spent a lot of time improving that output selection algorithm. And and the, the real trick there is that it's not perfect. It's never going to be perfect. Uh, but it's, there's always going to be a game of cat and mouse. So in March 2016, um, we set the minimum ring signature size to three so that it would be your output plus three others. And then in 2017, we increased that to five. In 2018, we increased it to four. And now next month is going to increase to eleven. What does that so do? What does that do to on-chain scalability, though? Because like, if you have to store all that, that that would so, seem to me. So, does that increase the size of transactions, or what does that do? It increases the size of transactions, but in this case, because um, bulletproofs are decreasing the size of transactions of Monero transactions um, by such a a massive amount, the increase in minimum ring size is not impactful. Um, uh, you know, from that perspective, so so it's like it's kind of like yes and no. Um, uh, in in this case, we're still going to get, despite increasing the ring size from minimum ring size um, from seven to a fixed ring size of eleven, we're still getting like an eighty percent decrease in transaction size. How big is the mineral blockchain right now? Let's see. Um, so there's there's two ways to look at it. There's the actual blockchain size, which I will give you now, um, and then there is the the size on disk. Because um, on disk we um, we obviously have a bunch of um, uh, ind indexes and 
uh, stuff like, you know, for performance for performance reasons. Um, so on disk, it's sitting at about 63 gigs. Um, and let's see, the actual uh, blockchain is about 45 gigs, 46 gigs. So it's like, it's like uh, what, 9% of the size of the Bitcoins? Something like that? Mm, or is Bitcoin a terabyte like at this point? Yeah. I'm also that's the one thing that like Monero has going for it is the fact that it's somewhat disused. Because it doesn't oh, it yeah. doesn't it doesn't take on that load. Like Bitcoin is a front runner and has to like figure out all the scaling stuff long before everybody else. So you guys can benefit from like the scaling uh the scaling stuff that Bitcoin implements, which is a little different than uh than other blockchains. Or like other projects. It's sort of like you're the lift to blockchain being Uber, if you will, or to Bitcoin being Uber. Yeah, so so and and that's very true. And and the nice thing about some of the scaling stuff is like we're never going to I don't think we're ever going to well when I say we, I mean, you know, the the all the people working on Monero and the Monero user base. I don't think that we're ever going to go like uh, oh, on-chain scaling isn't a thing that we should pursue. We're always going to pursue ways of making transaction transactions smaller. Um, but with the mandate of making them more, ever more private. But one nice thing is that we're, the, the community is also looking at um, layer two things because the layer two stuff um, like Lightning Network and Tumblebit uh, is not only good for Monero from a scaling perspective, but it also creates a great disconnect, um, uh, which is useful from a um, privacy perspective. So, you know, Monero plus Lightning plus Tumblebit is kind of like maximal privacy. Is there, I mean, is there a, is, are you guys committed to ring signatures or is there other privacy protocols that you guys would consider implementing um, given on-chain scalability and given uh, the possibility that maybe Schnorr or something like that is like a, a better a better solution for uh, for things being completely private? Yeah, we're not, we're not at all committed to um, to, to uh, ring signatures. The Monero Research Lab is actively looking at uh, alternatives. Um, I don't really follow a lot of those conversations due to lack of time, but um, there's all sorts of stuff that they're looking at. The thing is, there, there are two aspects to Monero's privacy which is really strong. The first is that it is um, it's mandatory by default. You can go and publish transaction details um, it, it publicly even if you need to. So you can make public transactions that way. But by default, your transactions are 100% private. And the second thing is, even on a low-end device using a web wallet where all of the, the crypto has been re-implemented in JavaScript, um, Monero transactions are still pretty quick to build. Um, you know, fractions of a second, um, maybe a couple of seconds on low-end devices. So given that, it, it means that Monero tends towards having the largest privacy set. Um, and any technology we replace uh, ring signatures with will absolutely need to have something um, along those lines. It will need to have uh, you know, default privacy that takes fractions of a second or a couple of seconds to build on low-end devices. Um, otherwise, it's not worth touching. Additionally, I mean, what would you say about the the, the possible? I mean, like given given the fact that output mixing seems to have this like weird issue with the fact that like outputs do exist, 
and they outputs can be seen because you have to you know figure out where they're coming from and where they're where they're going. Uh, and given some of the problems of like you know the, the the criticisms people are making here, where the most recent output is you know what is it sixty percent of the time or something like that tied to the person who actually sent it, is is there is there a way in which uh, like block times can contribute to uh, privacy itself? Uh, block times as in... Well, like, could you delay a transaction like, you, del- like uh, you know, 24 hours if you didn't care that it was spent right now? And and that way, I don't know, the network holds it somehow and like essentially makes it so that uh, you spent it yesterday but not today? Yeah, sure. I mean, at the end of the day, like... I, I don't uh, know that that would matter at all because it still comes from a place. It still creates the same output from the same address. So, so yeah, but I mean, like, like um, one of the things that we're that we're trying to uh, we're trying to do there um, is, you know, take a look at stuff like Dandelion. But the problem is that you're still spending transactions up to a point in time. So it's not like they're uh, like even if the network delays it, it's not going to make a difference. Um, delays broadcast because uh, you can even if it, if it gets included in a block tomorrow, you can go oh. I roughly think it was made around here because it included a bunch of outputs um, up to this point in time, even though it was only mined the next day. Interesting. So the, the outputs it mixes with are chosen at the time of transaction? Correct. It's not chosen by other people. There's no um, there's no interactivity required. Uh, it, it's you and your copy of the blockchain. Interesting. Monero's, I mean, I, I, I like Monero. Um, and you've always been very clear that it's an experiment, right? Like I, I like that about it more than anything. I, I think that its its legacy has always been sort of a weird test net for things uh, Bitcoinish. But because you guys have your own uh, code base, it, it it means that there's a lot of other things that you guys can kind of experiment on and incorporate and uh, and just try, sort of as a, an alternative implementation. And I think you've always been of the opinion that like it's sort of a if Bitcoin went to shit, there's always Monero then. That backs it that, that people could switch to, is that still kind of the case? Or are you guys finding sort of your way in the world here and seeing a lot more usage? It, it sounds like it's still not it sounds, used hugely. So, so I think, you know, I, I you know, we don't delude ourselves. We know that that um, that there are are only, relatively speaking, a handful of people that are using Monero because they need privacy. Um, that handful might be significant. You know, it might be tens of thousands of people um, that are using Monero for a private store of value, but it's, you know, we're certainly not having like dissidents in, in, um, in weird countries that are, that, that are using Monero on a daily basis to evade their government. Um, I think there, there is certainly some of that happening though, and that's really where I think Monero's, um, Monero is finding its way is in uh, people that need privacy right now and aren't able to wait and don't have the technical ability or the time or the whatever to figure out what perfect OPSEC is. They're able to use Monero as a tool in their arsenal, um, certainly not as the only tool. Do you see that like in countries like Venezuela that you guys, is your community growing there or? or... Yeah, so Venezuela is a great example. I was chatting to someone, I was in Panama uh, a little while ago and I was chatting to someone from Venezuela and I said to him, so. You know, um, like, like, what are the what are the cryptocurrencies that are really getting used? And he said, well, um, if you look at politicians, they're they're a great example of um, of 
of people that moved early in, uh, into cryptocurrencies because they saw the currency devaluing. And uh, politicians in, um, in Venezuela love Monero and love Bitcoin, um, which, which I had a good chuckle about because I, I figure, you know, if you're a politician, um, you probably keep a bunch of stuff in Monero that you want people to know about and a bunch of stuff, sorry, a bunch of stuff in Bitcoin that you want people to know about and a bunch of stuff in Monero that you don't want them to know about. Yeah, I've heard similar reports, by the way. I've also heard Dash. Uh, but I mean, so so early on, I think that a lot of people were saying Ethereum was very popular there. But Ethereum, I've heard, is no longer something that can be mined there as a result of the fact that it's <laughs> it's so big it can no longer be stored in the... In, in the uh, RAM <laughs> of the of the GPUs. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ethereum's a special case, isn't it? <laughs> I, can we talk? I mean, like, like, talk a little bit about that. Like, Ethereum, I've been highly critical of since long before it was launched, and it seems to me that given now a couple years of history of it, basically everything that I was concerned with has happened. Yeah, and. Uh, in spite of that, it's still highly valued. <laughs> Why do you think that is? And and uh, is there, you know, like what are what are what should we be worried about now with Ethereum? Because I, I think it's continually like going. It's going to continue to have all of these same sort of problems. Whether it's on chain scaling, whether it's privacy, whether it's a fact that it's Turing complete and that that uh, opens it up to all sorts of attacks. Um, I remember one of the things you said to me a long time ago was that when Casper uh, is uh, is implemented, that moves a long range attack from like you know three months to like six months or a year. Yeah, it doesn't actually remove the the possibility of attack. Um, but but what's even you know maybe just to just to sort of like um, set the tone for for why I view things with Ethereum the way I do. Um, I I have. No doubt that, um, or no doubt that Vitalik is a reasonably intelligent person. Um, I, I do. Have, I do. Well, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like he's not. He's not. He's he's a smart kid, um, but he's still a kid. He's um, not a kid anymore. That's the problem. Yeah. I, At some anyway, point, the, it's not cute point, anymore. You know, like that's the thing. Like when I was sixteen, it, it was cute. It's like quantum computing, very cute Vitalik. But now it's like, oh, you're like twenty four. It's less cute. You can no longer sleep yeah. on my couch. You have to get your own. You have to get your own couch to sleep on, Mister Vitalik. You have to get your own blockchain. Get your own blockchain, Vitalik. Come on. Yeah. Um, stop. Stop using mine. Stop using but my blockchain. I think, I, I think the the real thing there is, there is, um, for for whatever reason, and I don't know what the reason is, there is a genuine problem in um, Ethereum, and that is this not-invented-year syndrome. They are, I, I mean, and, and it, it just pervades everything that they do. Say it again, they it cannot, wasn't what? It, they, the not-invented-year syndrome. They oh, yeah. They can't go and take something that they know works. They can't just be like, hey, guys, proof of work, we know it works. Let's do that. Maybe one day in future there will be something else that we can replace it with, but let's do proof of work because we know it works. They have to do proof of work with a difficulty bomb to force him to do proof of stake because they think that proof of stake is workable. And not just proof of stake, but a new version, a new implementation of proof of stake that was invented by another 12-year-old named uh, Vlad Zamfir, 
who has no no knowledge or understanding of the economics because he's too fucking young. Uh, who's who's by the way since since his proposal of Casper largely left the project as far as I see. Yeah, things are all out of whack. But I mean, like like you take a look at that. You take a look at Uncle Blocks. It's like it's not you know it's not sufficient for us to have you know two minute blocks even. Let's get let's get it crazy. Let's do two minute blocks because we know that the, that internet latency has dropped to, you know since the Bitcoin early days, and we can handle two minute blocks. Um, and, and just do traditional proof of work. No, 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 no. We need to do 12-second blocks and then reward miners when their blocks are orphaned, um, which leads to miners mining empty blocks because they're much easier to assemble than full blocks. Of course. So, of course. You, you know, I mean, like there's all this weird stuff. And now, you know, more recently, um, you've got stuff like whatever, plasma and whatever, um, where it's like, well, lightning's really interesting, but instead of us just like tapping into lightning, because there's a standard and we know it works and we're going to be able to t plug into atomic swaps and all that. No, no, no. We must do Raiden and, and Plasma and all these other things and do stuff that is, um, it's like a slight twist on this. Well, that just tells uh, me that Joseph Poon, Joseph Poon didn't really have much to do with the Lightning implementation. I think Drijo is clearly the, uh, the driver of that project. Yeah. I think that has, I mean, that yeah. has to be true, right? That that is that's my assertion as well. Yeah, because I see Joseph Poon. I mean, for those who don't know, Joseph Poon left Lightning. He was the one. Him and Dryja wrote the Lightning paper originally. Which interestingly, uh, we we talked about a while ago. Apparently, Blockstream had an implementation that was very Lightning-like um, that they they just didn't publish yet. And Dryja and Poon got there first. So, I'm, I I think it's cool. But it, it's what it looks like to me. Dryja's still working on Lightning. Poon has gone off and started this project Plasma with Ethereum. Um, but I look at it, to me it's very clear that the criticisms of Ethereum still are true. It still will not scale. It still has to fail at some point. It will explode massively and spectacularly or die off slowly and over a long period of time. It doesn't really matter. It has to, it has to go to zero or it has to centralize node operations all to like Microsoft Azure or something like that. And it, like that's just that that that's necessarily what it has to do, and I see people like like Poon who don't seem to evaluate that who can't evaluate that future of it, and to me it seems unlikely that he had a lot to do with the original Lightning implementation. I don't know what his role was. Maybe the math. Maybe yeah. Uh, not, not the I ideation. Mean, though. No. So it's it's very weird. Like I. What is are, what is is Monero able just to kind of take that uh, that ecosystem? Because like I know that with Ethereum it's a little different because like they're account based, right? It's not it's not quite the same as like Bitcoin's implementation of like input output stuff. Um, what's Mon like? Can Monero just kind of uh, take the Lightning Network and uh, glue it onto the network, or do you guys have to rewrite it from the ground up? No, we absolutely can, and that's something that we're actually we're literally busy with right now. There are a bunch of, uh, of um, developers um, at Tari Labs that are working on Rust Lightning, on, on Matt, uh, on, uh, Matt Corallo's um, uh, Lightning implementation, precisely to get it to a point where it's, uh, where it's, it's working and usable, and um, also to add support for Monero to it. And how long does that take? Because Monero's, I mean, Lightning's taken, what, two and a half years to implement? To actually start seeing yeah, uptake? Yeah, this is a big job. I mean, I, I would say... If we're lucky, this is a 12-month project from now. 
Um, uh, if we are not so lucky, it is, you know, a 24-month project from now. And how does that work in terms of the bond openings and closings and stuff in Monero? Like, are, are transactions essentially invisible to anybody until they're actually closed to the chain? Um, yes, and the other thing with that is uh, because our confidential transactions, when um, when channels are closed, you won't see the rebalancing. Uh, you can't um, sort of go like, oh, well, a whole bunch of channels are closed, and this balance went down, and that balance went up. So you only so see one one final paid. sort of transaction being closed. There's not like a... exactly exactly, and you you can't see the amount. So there's no inference you can make, which is great. So does that mean that your blockchain is going to be this size forever? This tiny little... <laughs> I, how, no, how is that going to work with think. minor compensation? Because it seems to me that like, if, if you end up with a, a situation where most transactions, particularly for a, a, a less used blockchain like Monero, are off-chain in a Lightning transaction, uh, closed up in a Lightning network, um, th that seems to me that it becomes very difficult to sort of justify the getting miners off subsidies and it would seem like you might need to move to a weird inflationary type currency like inflation forever and by inflation uh, i mean inflation the monetary does it does it yes monero hits a minimum block reward of 0 0.6 monero per block and it stays that way forever so it's disinflationary um uh you know i think it, it's it starts off at 0. 0.78% or 0.8% annually, and decreases, tends towards zero um, every year, that, that percentage and that's inflation. And that's a gradual inflation. You guys don't have like a, you don't have a, what, what's it fucking called? The halvening. <laughs> you guys don't have yeah, halvenings, yeah. So do you? There's, there's, but what I, mean is, what I mean is like right now, the inflation is much bigger, um, even though the, the uh, block reward's decreasing. But once that block reward hits 0 0.6 Monero, at that point, the inflation is about 0.8% a year. But because the block reward then doesn't decrease any further, then the the percentage inflation, um, there's still inflation, but it de the percentage decreases every year. And is that like an arbitrary inflation number that you guys have picked, or is there a reason for 0 0.8? So the, the, reason, the, the reason was that when, I mean, this is now really going back to Monero's early, early days. Of course. Um, of course. Uh, there was, um, there was a, a, a paper um, uh, which, is, which, which I found interesting at any way, uh, any rate. Um, and it was, um, it was a paper called On the Longest Chain Rule and Program Self-Destruction of Cryptocurrencies. And it was, about, it was by Nicolas Courtois, um, who's a... Uh, researcher in the UK, um, and uh, you know, lovely guy. I've met him. Very controversial guy. We don't let um, French people know, develop on Bitcoin, so yeah. And and this is this is I a paper from early 2015. Okay. And and um, you know, one of the things it said was that uh, Bitcoin has programmed self destruction because the block rewards go to zero. And it needs transaction fees to to make up the difference. Anyway, there's a whole bunch of stuff, and this was super controversial because um, it was just before the uh, the scaling debate really started growing legs. Um, and uh, and one thing I found interesting was like I read that and I thought to myself, well, you know, why do we need to rely on that? Why do we need to rely on on this this weird balance as the block reward drops? 
why don't we just set a minimum block reward, which also, as a side side effect, prevents out-of-band uh, mining attacks against uh, Monero's dynamic block size. Um, so, so I discussed this with Taco Time and with the other Monero core team members. Um, you know, this was like whatever day zero of us walking Monero away from Thankful for Today, and uh, we were like, cool. So, if we did this, what percentage would we set? And Taco Time felt very strongly that it should be sub 1%. And so that was how we ended up with 0.8% um, on that minimum block reward, tending towards zero. Why not like 0.99? Because the, the, um, the difference between 0.6 Monero per block and 0.7 Monero per block, which are nice round numbers, um, is that 0.6 Monero is under a percent and 0.7 Monero is over a percent. So we didn't want to make it a, fi a weird fixed amount. That makes, remember, okay, that makes sense. I see. It's only the first year that it's 0.8%. After that, it, it's the next year it's 0.72% and so on. I'm very like, I, 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 I'm of the opinion that all of, all of these coins should move away from the eight decimal system and move all of the decimals all the way down to the last two digits. I am a big fan of that, and I don't know why um, people aren't doing it. Um, I've never heard anyone I, I, suggest I it because everyone's talking about like millibitcoins, and I'm just like, why not just move it to like 0, 0.00 bitcoins? That's what everybody understands globally in terms of money. That's what bits are, though. Yeah, well, yeah, but but like everyone's talking, but, but, mil, like everyone talks in the milla, the milla bitcoin uh, word. They're like, we should move to milla bitcoins, and I kind of look at it. And I think to myself, like, why not just move straight two bits? Well, that's there's a big bits movement, hey? Um, is there? Uh, there's, is why am I out of that? Oh, yeah. Why am I out of that? Am I running that? Obviously. I'm fast. <laughs> You're the foreman. That's, that's um, I, figure, I figured how it works. In a decentralized ecosystem, you get voted into things. It's probably a John Seth. Oh, exactly, right? But, yeah, the, the Miller Bitcoin thing's a dumb idea. It's so um, dumb. It's going to be down there. You can't stage gate this. You have to make a hard change and go, this is the change we're using for the next 20 years or whatever it is. Well, what I see, what I see for it, exactly. That's, that's what I don't understand. It's like, why would you make it a thousand uh, like millibitcoins when you can just go straight to exactly what everybody understands? In Bitcoin, you could be 1.00 bitcoins. Um, what is that now? 20 cents or two cents or something like that? Yeah, yeah, it, it, like it, it's perfectly understandable. So I have one Bitcoin would mean that I have two cents worth of Bitcoin. It's it's very like yeah. it's much better in in my world than like I have one Bitcoin, which is a six thousand dollar unit. For God knows what reason, you just move the decimal the other way, and you can keep it in the protocol as eight decimals, and just on Coinbase it can oh, be yeah. one point zero, zero, zero. Yeah, no, the, the whole thing's ridiculous. But I think um, I, I think that is something that that has to change. I mean, it just it just makes logical sense. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, it doesn't have a lot to do with Monero or Bitcoin, I guess. But like, I I've been to me, that's like that, that's a really simple thing. And I feel like if you move it to the, the the last two decimal places, you end up with a situation where you never have to discuss it again. And that's the thing that Bitcoiners and I think Monerans and every single one of these blockchain people are completely terrible at coming up with solutions that you don't have to discuss again in a year. Well, you know what it is. I I think I, I agree with you that there's a lot of like. So maybe this is maybe this is just something that that I'm really lucky with. But having observed Bitcoin for so many years, by the time I got involved with Monero, I was like, um, uh, every decision we take 
from day one is going to sit with us forever. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. like it's like okay. Everyone was like, "Oh, are we going to use Slack?" And it's like, no. If we use Slack, we are bound to a single company um, for our comms tool forever. You will never be able to leave it. Yes, it, people will become ingrained in it, and then you, then it will be. I mean, people are still using Bitcoin Talk. There is no new version of Bitcoin Talk that people are using. They're using the old version of Bitcoin Talk, and that is the only thing that they're using. And no one wants to touch anything else, despite you know millions of dollars having been spent on the rewrite. Um, and, and oh God, I remember is, that. Oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> Good memory. Well, I got. I, mean, I got. Like, I got to say, like the. the in Bitcoin, one of the things, one of the big problems is that there's a lot of really rich kids here, and none of them have done anything in their lives other than Bitcoin, and they don't know what they don't know. And that includes, I mean, in your case, you're an old 60-year-old man, and, uh, and, and I'm in my 80s, and, uh, and, and I, think, I think that, like, having run a business, uh, at least in my case, I mean, I, I don't know if it is for you, but, like, I, th that gi it gives me perspective on things that I don't think other people understand that you have perspective on. No, I know. I, and so, so this, you know, what's really funny about that is, um, I get approached by ICOs a lot. Oh yeah. Um, oh, and yeah. it's got, it's, it's calmed down slightly, but there was a period last year where I was getting approached by three ICOs a day, um, <laughs> asking me to, to, to be an advisor. And, um, and so my, I just like, like some of them got a, bit, got a bit pushy. And so my number one opening question always used to be, what experience does your team have deploying large amounts of capital? And and every single time it would be crickets. Well, we don't we don't need that. We're doing something revolutionary. Yeah, but give us give us money. Give us fifty million dollars, okay? Who like, in your team has ever deployed fifty million dollars? Like, what, no what's one. what's your project? We want to build we want to build this this tiny little circuit board and deploy it to the world and sell it. Uh, how much is that going to be? Okay, we're going to sell each one for fifty dollars. What is the what is the market of people that want this? We think that there's at least ten thousand people who want it. Okay, so you have this thing. You, you have a potential market of like eight hundred thousand dollars, and you're going to raise fifty million dollars to produce it. Yes. What the? Because logic. What's that? Because logic. Yes. You know I'm. Yes. I, the ICO world is completely, uh, completely out of my realm of understanding how these companies, like, why is it that you need $120 million or $18 million or $6 million to implement a, a credit card or a debit card for, like, Bitcoin? Why? Because daddy needs a new landlord. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, like, really, you guys, why did you fund that? Why? What? Like, literally, their only proposal is that they're going to take the money and deploy a piece of plastic to everybody, and they're and, and no one asks the question. But they are going to be custodians of somebody's Bitcoin somewhere. The whole thing's just crazy. Do, I, my brain can't do, even. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that the uh, the ICO market has like very much cooled down. Up until yeah. the next retarded pump, though. When, when will what do you think the next pump's going to be, Fluffy? Mr. Pony, sorry. Well, <laughs> well, you know, if I give a, if I give a date range, I'll be wrong. If I give an exact date, I'll be wrong. 
you know, if I say that the next, if I say there's even going to be a next pump, I'll be wrong. Well, I don't so, mean that. I mean, like, what, what, when is the next cycle of retardation coming into, the, like, Bitcoin? Because you, you've seen you've seen the cycles, right? So, like, the banks came. The banks were going to revolutionize back-of-house operations. Then the banks kind of quietly disappeared. Then the banks came back, and the banks were going to revolutionize remittance. And then they kind of quietly disappeared then hyperledger came and everyone was going to implement a blockchain and it was going to revolutionize property records and, and owning cars and it was going to be carfax and then everyone tried that and everyone kind of disappeared slowly quietly factum is kind of like a, a, a non-mentionable at this point um you have all sorts of these projects that have kind of just sort of slowly disappeared and nobody knows what they are but they get write-ups in the economist and then the icos happened uh, en mass, which we you know we'd all seen the ICOs long before that, but now like then in en mass the ICOs occurred and they were dumber than ever. So th in my in my perspective on Bitcoin, there has to be something even dumber than ICOs that's coming down the pike that we have to like prepare for and that will make us all rich again. Oh yeah, I mean, look, I I don't know to to what degree the last pump was pure ICO money. Um, I think it definitely was a was a a big aspect of it. Fluffy's um, like, I'm not telling but, you, but I put a hundred billion dollars into this thing <laughs> on my own. <laughs> no, but I, I think I think what's definitely what's definitely interesting to observe from my perspective, anyway, is that um, there is the, we're pre-institutional money. Yes. You know, there's, there's a, the, this. So so you know you know how um, if you're if you've ever done a um uh, or ever dealt with like stock stock market trading and and that sort of world then there's this adage about how like um the the order in which go things go in you know that you've got like the early stage investors and so on and it, it builds up and then eventually when your hairdresser is talking about buying stock um then you get out that's up, then you get out yeah and with coin it's completely inverted because your hairdresser is talking about bitcoin your hairdresser owns Bitcoin, and their institutional money is not there yet. So and get that's out. Bizarre. Well, is it time to get out, or is it time <laughs> to get in? Like, I don't even know anymore. I'm so confused. Well, do you remember when your hairdresser was calling you an idiot anarchist for like even thinking about this stuff, and you, and your wife was oh, yeah. like, "I'm going to leave you yeah. if you say that word one more time." So then you invented Monero <laughs> so that you, she would stay with you, so you wouldn't have to talk about Bitcoin anymore. Well, I didn't invent Monero, but I mean, that's what like, you say. That's you know, <laughs> Well, I'm definitely not like thankful for today or Nicholas <laughs> Saberhagen. I have conspiracies that say otherwise, Fluffy. I'm the only one that believes them, and I invented the conspiracies. But uh, I had some, I had someone tell me that they think that I might be Satoshi. I mean, what an insult to the poor person that that actually created Bitcoin. You know that, that you that are. He would go from that to being Fluffy Pony. You should say you should say something like, "No, Satoshi went to the gym." <laughs> <laughs> Satoshi's a six six pack wearing sort of uh gym bro. I know him. Yeah, yeah. He and I used he to, to run in the mornings. Yeah, right. He is South wait, African, wait. incidentally. Sorry. Obviously. She tell by his accent. Um but yeah, like I, I do I I I uh the the state the state of Bitcoin is like surprising to me and i think i think that you're right to point that out that it has sort of been this inverted investment curve and i i don't know what to do with that and and it's weird because uh wall street still i mean like they're looking at it more now i think the last pump 
was there was some institutional money coming in, right? Yeah, yeah, but not not on the level, right? I mean, there was some. What do you think about dissident countries getting in? Because I know that, like, as I mean, we were just talking about it. Venezuelan government officials are seemingly investing in this shit. So, like, and I hear reports of North North Korea having large stores of Bitcoin, which I fully believe. Um. So, uh, you know, like, what are we gonna do? Like, like, a, do we care? B, what are we gonna do to stop them if we do care? Well, I, I don't, I don't well, care. But the reason I bring it up is because I think Roger Veer and retards uh, that believe the same thing that he believes about like Bitcoin ending war. I think that's a reality that they have to deal with. Yeah, because if if we're going to not care about despots getting Bitcoin and Monero and Dash and all of these other currencies. Um, I think that we have to admit that this actually seems like it might be a vehicle for more evil. Um, and that, that, that is a, a, a willingness, that is a, a risk that we are willing to accept because, of, because freedom or because some other ideological belief. But I do think that it's, it's a very naive position to think that these cryptocurrencies are going to root out the state's ability to function. And in fact, it may actually bring in an era of states who, particularly if it continues to go up, states that are evil and problematic actually having uh, more money and uh, more ability to do things like engage in war. Yeah, I, I mean, I can I can absolutely see that, and it's you, you know the, it's it's like I don't know I don't know where on the fence people sit morally speaking. Um, from my perspective, I I guess because I come at it from an engineering perspective, I tend to focus very much on the engineering and on the good use cases, yeah. and I largely yeah. ignore um, any possible abuse. And so, so in many ways, I, I think to some, I think it's like it's like Facebook, right? The early engineers at Facebook, did they sit there and go, how do we prevent a uh, a bunch of Russians from using our platform to like attack the American election? Was right. that a thing that they even thought? I don't think so. I think they were like, this is so cool. Everyone's going to use us to speak to their grandmother and to their friends, and and that's <laughs> like that's as far. Um, that's as far as, as their, their brain went. And beyond that, it, it just came as a shock to them when their tool got weaponized, when Facebook became a weapon. Well, more than that, that, in, in, the world, in the world after Backpages, I'm hearing that Instagram is the biggest, most useful place to get prostitutes. I'm not even surprised. Well, of course not, because like, we all know that that's exactly got to be true. It's it's there in like a couple of other websites, but apparently Instagram they're full on. They just tell you the price. They tell you that they take pictures of themselves and they uh, give you their phone number. Yeah, it's you know not that I mean, you would know. Like all of these tools, all of these tools get, but I mean any tool that you build like has the potential to get abused, right? But we we know that this is dissident money, right? Yeah. So given no, that mean, it's dissident like, money, it's dissident money and libertarian money. That's it. And black people money. But that might be dissident money. Um, but like like it's dissident money. So if it's if it is money for dissidents, and that's the people that are going to first adopt it, dissidents run the gamut of people smuggling Bibles into uh, China, um, such as Brother Andrew did forever ago. 
and all the way down to uh, El Chapo, who who murders women and hangs their panties from trees in Arizona. So, like, how is it? Like, I, I think this. I think this notion of of Bitcoin being like the great freedom bringer is going. It, it's to me. It's it's such a it's such a weird naive perspective that like nobody is nobody seems to be really willing to deal with the realities of like what we're ushering in here. Like you dissidents aren't always good, which is why they're dissidents. So then let me let me ask you this. I mean, like, like is this is Bitcoin so much better than anything that North Korea can get their hands on that um, that they're definitely definitely using Bitcoin and making a bunch of money. Um, I, I struggle with that because I don't think I don't think that you can buy cognac with Bitcoin yet. They're the big, I think they're the, the world's biggest importer of cognac. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, but I mean the the answer is I don't know because I mean I I struggle with the whole how do you get rid of the Bitcoin thing right um, and and I think if they're just holding it. Then we've entered a new era of Bitcoin, where Bitcoin is viewed as literal value itself. Yeah, and I, and I'm I'm fine with that. I mean, like, because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if they want to make money, they can have um, all sorts of you know um, shell companies and and bearer assets, this and bearer whatever um, that own stock. So you know, I mean, like, they, there's no. Uh, I don't. I don't think that they are that restricted when it comes to making money. Maybe they're restricted if it's when it comes to making billions and billions and billions of dollars. Billions and billions and billions. To buy tanks and guns and planes. But Let, I mean, like the U.S. What's the U.S. military budget? It's like several trillion or whatever. Yeah, but we're we're helpful in other places. We we send our military to go help other people. But, like but what I mean, South what I mean Korea. is that what I mean is that even if North Korea made, you know. I don't know, $10 billion, billion from holding Bitcoin, which doesn't seem to be plausible right now, but let's say they did, then they have, what, a, a tiny fraction of the U.S. Um, military budget? Yeah, so here's my, here's my theory, and I, I think that you'll go along with this. I think that North Korea is acquiring as much Bitcoin as possible so that they can implement Safedean's books ideas. <laughs> and, and I think that's... I think that's what I'm most excited about here is watching Safedean's books ideas get implemented in real life in uh, in a free state, in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a world of freedom. And, uh, you know, I think it will bring unprecedented, an unprecedented gilded age for the, the country of North Korea. <laughs> oh, man. And, and the reason I said this is because, like, but you know as well as I do that that's the best place for that to actually occur because they're the ones that are probably acquiring the most, them in Venezuela. So, like, where are you going to see Bitcoin, uh, the Bitcoin standard? It's going to be in, you know, Venezuela, North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah. I, um, that, that would be incredibly unintentionally ironic. Yeah, and I'm also I'm also gonna write a book. I've been thinking about this one lately. I'm gonna write the Monero standard. <laughs> what were you talking about? How Monero shouldn't be used anywhere ever? No, I'm gonna I'm gonna use I'm gonna talk about how states should have it. Uh, the beauty of it is that states can say they have it, but nobody actually knows if they have it because of all the ring signature technology. 
Well, I look forward to reading it. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a genius uh, piece of work, a la Saifedean's uh, The Bitcoin Standard. Have you read that? I have, yeah. Did you? What did you think of it? Um, the two chapters. Oh, the, so yeah, there's two chapters on Bitcoin towards the end, which are are lovely. <laughs> Um, and the rest of the book is filled with gross historical inaccuracies. Yeah, that's exactly what. It, like, it seems it seems like he went to Wikipedia and looked up a bunch of stuff. Like, for example, one of the one of the elements he talks about is like the UK's uh, gold standard, and he says that the gold standard was brought to England by like Isaac Newton. Um, in this sort of like notion that the gold standard in the UK was sort of this, you know, institutionalized uh, standard that 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 appeared as a result of Newton's genius. But the reality is that Newton just made laws that sort of squeezed silver out. Yeah, and there's just a lot of historical yeah, just, lot just of... stupid in it. I don't know why. I mean, it's it, it seems odd to me that. Um... That that he wouldn't have gone to go and and research it as deeply as he should, um, but it is what it is. It's there's definitely, um, in fact, uh, you you remember, you know uh, Francis Coppola. Yes. Um, yes. She actually has a very detailed uh, review on her blog, um, the Bitcoin Standard: A Critical Review. Did you, and, did you read that? That's one of the best yeah, critiques the best I've ever seen of a book. I think yeah. she misses a lot of the inaccuracies too. Yeah, she just she, she almost just touches on some of the big ones, um, and uh, and and some of them. I mean, like some of them are excusable because it's stuff that that I'm like, yeah, okay, I I probably would have misunderstood that. But if you're writing a book, I don't think they're that excusable. I think you need to go and I mean, surely you you hire a fact checker. Um, if you're writing a, a nonfiction book. Well, the problem with fact checkers in a, in a situation like this, though, is that a lot of these like facts are long-spanning uh, historical facts that you know there's a, there's disagreement about, right? So you can interpret it in this way, or you can interpret it in that way. And a book that like spans the history of money as such is going to be thick as fuck. And if you want proof of that, you can read Niall Ferguson's uh, what is it, History of Money or whatever it's called, and that thing is thick as fuck. It's it's so thick, <laughs> and you know presenting all of the sort of like historical um, historical arguments for how we got where we are is an extremely daunting task. It's not super simple, and I'm kind of amazed that anybody bothers to do it anyways because it's so fucking. It, it's it's just history is history is not easy, and it's not as straightforward as I think Safedine and I think Misens generally. Uh, these sort of Mesen economists like to think. And I mean, I think you see that with like Monero, right? Like the history of Monero is like very short, but very complicated and utterly contingent uh, yeah. on who is telling it to you. Yeah. And, and I, I must say like something that I found really interesting is um, I have old IRC logs and I, I was going through them. Somebody asked me about something in Monero's history and I went and checked my IRC logs and managed to find the exact day when we discussed it. And firstly, it was not at all the the the, the month that I had had in my head. So my, my recollection of it was off by like three months. And then the conversation went completely differently to what I remembered. Really? Um, really? And, yeah, and then I go and read it, and I'm like, oh, wow, okay, so that's what happened. And, and you're like, so, I would not make like, as good not... of a, a witness as I thought I would. <laughs> no, totally. If, if someone... It, you know, like like if someone had said to me, like, go testify on a stand about that, the story I would have told would have been, like, largely inaccurate. What was the issue? Do you remember? 
Oh, it was just about the history of um, uh, why we chose LMDB as the database. And, and like, you know, I just had this, like, com complete, like, you know, got the date wrong, got the conversation wrong, um, like, like, you thought it came up in a certain way when it didn't. I can't, you know, it's nothing, like, it's nuances about the con about the conversation and about what we discussed and what I said and who said what. Well, set it straight. Um, Why did you guys choose LMDB as the database? I mean, these are, what, what so, I like about that, these stories, by the way, is that these are the inane the inane stories that are lost to history and are just completely uninteresting to most people, but extremely important and very interesting to me. So I'd, I, I'd read, uh, you know, I, like I basically tasked myself with, um, uh, with, with looking at a bunch of databases. And this was at a time when RocksDB was, um, was very young and only worked on Linux, didn't work on any other platforms. Um, uh, Level DB was kind of the go-to. Berkeley DB was uh, um, was I think somewhat uh, preferred in some situations. Did, did Bitcoin moved um, from Berkeley, from right? Level DB to Berkeley DB. Okay, they moved to um, Berkeley. That's right. Yeah, and and uh, and it is. Um, I don't know. I, I you know it, it's it's a really difficult thing because you get you read blog posts and it's like oh. You know, we have a tool that does a whole bunch of database writes every second, and so we went and ran our own stats, and so then, you know, and we compared 30 different things, and you're like, oh, okay, um, that's really interesting, um, and you're reading reading the stats, but their stats are specific to their workload, so I was trying to find something that that, that fits our expected workload. You know, someone who'd actually gone and profiled the different databases based on that workload couldn't find anything. Um, uh, but but Howard, the um, creator of LMDB, who is now a very prolific Monero contributor, um, Howard uh, had some stats on and some some con uh, some uh, tests on his website, and he actually had a, 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 a testing thing that you could download and, and use yourself to test. Um, and uh, and I was like, oh, this is really interesting because a if you if you're actually providing the stuff there that people can run the test themselves, that adds um, credence and and weight to the numbers, but also um, you know like like LMDB doesn't didn't come up a lot in uh, in any of um, the other tests because its API was so different. Interesting. Um, and so so then I found out that a, that the API was at least somewhat similar to LevelDB. So I thought, well, look, if we're going to test anything, why don't we let's firstly build something that is generic that can take multiple backends. And then let's build a backend using um, LMDB and LevelDB, and then we can compare the performance. I think she's Sean Sean DB. Sean can take multiple backends. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it with but my own at eyes. Least, at least you I'm get a sense of like this is definitely the um, the right choice between those two. And then over time, someone else can come when we have time and write a Berkeley DB plugin. Uh, for that backend, and then we can uh, ascertain whether that is suitable, uh, you know, is faster than LMDB. Needless to say, we never got around to doing the Berkeley DB thing, but we did do Level DB and uh, an LMDB. And in the process of doing that, I had discussions with Howard, who was on IRC, and I was like, hey, I'm from the Monero project, which you've obviously never heard of in 2014. And I was like, we're thinking, uh, we, you know, our database, our blockchain's all in RAM, and we're thinking of um, switching to LMDB, and he was like, okay. Um, and I asked him for a little bit of, uh, of guidance with some of the stuff. 
which as an open source uh, author and creator, he was more than happy to give. Um, and a lot of our experiences with him uh, and and uh, with his uh, with his incredibly uh, his incredible engineering line um, really helped shape the the way that we built uh, Monero's support for LMDB so that it was, I guess, done properly and we didn't like 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 half bake it. And uh, it's an incredibly performant database that's being used by, I mean, the NSA is using it at the moment. So, like to track Monero. <laughs> Can you, as a good a good citizen question, how much have you contributed back to LMDB? And the reason I ask is I want to know how much the NSA is relying on Monero's technology to, you know, do what they do. That's actually a very a very good question. There's a lot of stuff that Howard has added to LMDB as a result of its implementation, uh, a result of it being in um, Monero, including things like encryption um, and so on in LMDB 1.0, um, which which I'm sure he had planned um, in the back of his head, but. But the fact that it was being used in a project that was growing in prominence, I think really spurred him to add a bunch of stuff. Um, and the fact that it was being used by so many people in all sorts of weird environments, like being used on on Raspberry Pis, um, forced him to to make sure that it was that the compatibility was just excellent. Um, and and all of the stuff, you know, is is really. I mean, it's kind of ironic that. Um, LMDB's LMDB exists in its current state, I guess, in part because of Monero, and so the NSA can thank us for that anytime they want. That's what I yeah. And and are you like? Do you, does it have elements that Berkeley does not? At this um, point, oh yeah, it's, it's totally different. It's not based on Berkeley's code at all. Well, I know it's not based uh, on Berkeley, but the reason I ask is like, would there be benefit for like in the future? Are there elements to LMDB that Berkeley doesn't have that Bitcoin would benefit from, or is it kind of nice? Is, that you guys have bifurcated what technologies you're using, uh, as just sort of like in in the name of decentralization and uh, diversification of technology. No, there's tons of stuff that Bitcoin would benefit from with LMDB, and I, I do suspect that um, at some point uh, someone's going to make that switch um, and and run, you know, run something on the back end and see how that goes. Um, but uh, just as an example, Bitcoin keeps the UTXO set in memory. Yes. For performance reasons. Um, and Monero does not because it's a memory map database, so we don't need to. And, uh, and that is, I think, alone a very, very um, powerful thing from, scale, from a scalability perspective. What, what is the and difference I, between a memory map database and what Berkeley DB is? Like, what is Berkeley DB? So with Berkeley DB you, and, and with traditional databases, you, uh, you, you basically have this file that's like, if you're looking for this piece of information, you go to this part of the disk. Um, and, and you've got to like go and search through that file first to figure out where you need to go. And uh, with, uh, with a memory map database, there's this direct correlation between um, this is a map of, of the data um, that's mapped in memory and, or mapped to memory. And the minute you access it, then stuff gets copied into memory. So the next time it's accessed, it's it's immediately accessible, and it's really greedy and uses a ton of memory, but it it um, it doesn't actually use it. It uses it um, in in a in a virtual in a virtual memory way, so that it can relinquish it the minute the operating system needs that memory. And are those so it, are those uh, UTXO sets like stored permanently in the database uh, then? You mean like in, in Bitcoin or in Monero? In Monero. 
so it's permanently on disk. Yeah, I mean, when when uh, when we access um, a, a TXO in Monero, we don't first create a, a whole copy in memory. We just hit the thing that's already, um, you know, through, through LMDB, we hit the thing that's in memory um, or that's mapped to it, and if it's not there, it gets copied into memory um, off, disk, uh, off disk. And so your initial access time might be fractions of a second um, slower, but from there on out, it's as fast as if you had it in memory. And does it, does it, is it better for like verification of transactions or what makes that better than, in your opinion, than like the way that Bitcoin handles uh, transactions and UTXO sets? So one of the, the, the big, the really big difference is um, uh, Monero uses like 40 megs of memory on my computer, um, of real memory, and then you know, a bunch of, of, like I said, memory that it's sort of greedily accessing that it can let go of at any second. Um, and uh, the, the, the flip side to that is Bitcoin needs to have a lot more memory because it needs to be uh, a lot more, and it needs to have a lot more stuff in memory, like physically in memory that it can access. So very simply, like you, you think Monero would be more easily able to be used on like a shittier computer? Yeah, I think it's that, and I think it's um, it, it, it also just is it, it's helpful from a scalability perspective. Um, and and again, I'm not saying that this is something that uh, that Bitcoin has to adopt, but just in terms of of what is the most powerful embedded database that you get today, I think LMDB is right up there, if not at the top. Interesting. What's your opinion on like a lot of these blockchain companies, Fluffy, like Symbiont, for example? And, and the reason I ask is, is because I think a lot of sort of the structural stuff that you went through early on in creating Monero uh, gives, I think, I think that like when I hear these companies talking about the quote unquote blockchains that they're inventing, I am, I am so, I want, I, I just, I want to reach into their brains and figure out what they actually think they're doing. Cause they're, they're, they're not going through this process, right? They're not actually like asking these hard questions and developing uh, developing tools that need to scale because it's very clear to me that they are literally just making databases that they're calling blockchains. But okay, so so I think that some of them are just answering a consumer need, right? I mean, there's there's companies that are being told you must use blockchains, and so then there are some responsible people who are like, hey, look, we can help you use a blockchain, um, but but we're maybe you're just going to use a database and slap the word blockchain on it um, for, for some of the stuff and then put proofs back or, or what, hashes what, back on an what, actual blockchain. What makes those blockchains? Are they Merkleized or like what, what is it? Because I, I continually hear this word and I ask these questions of people that are creating these blockchains and I can't figure out what they think they have made that is a blockchain. Like what's, what's the thing that they're adding to it that, they, that allows them to stick the sticker on it? I have no idea. I think like there, there is probably like something dumb like oh well we um, we've we've gone and we've added linked linked list hashes and so you know that's a blockchain right? Yeah. <laughs> have you have you seen Symbion's contribution to Vanguard? I've not. It's it's one of the best uh, best implementations of blockchain I've ever seen. So here's here let me start you off with the claim by Vanguard. Vanguard says. That they were not ever able to rant or to dynamically update the prices of indices um, ever in the history of the company. They've always had to update those prices manually at the end of the day. 
or with a typewriter and and no, they actually they were actually chiseling it on stone tablets. So uh, and, and then they had to they had to scan those tablets into the computer, and then they had to send it through PDF Adobe Acrobat Pro, which would then uh, be OCR'd, and then they would take the OCR'd text and upload that to the internet. Um, so makes some people. It was actually a process developed by Moses and God. So then so then Symbiont came along, and Symbiont has made for them a blockchain that will deliver to them. Uh, the prices dynamically of all of the all of these indices by grabbing from a computer all of the prices of the indices which are dynamically updated at a at a, uh, by a professor at the University of Chicago. That sounds like technology that is well beyond what we're able to achieve. <laughs> I believe that was used to get um, the the space shuttle down um, <laughs> safely. And I, you know, I think I, I, there's rumor that it might have alien origin. I, I think they've invented a thing that I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I, I don't think this word's ever been used, uh, but I'm gonna use it here. So anyone who uses it going forward, it's my word. I want credit for it. I think they've invented what I'm going to call an API. <laughs> API does certainly sound like a good name for it. Yep. API. API. Yeah. Appy is what it is. Uh, it seems like that's what they've developed, and they've they've stuck a blockchain sticker on it. It's one of the. It's I'm to me. I look at that sort of implementation. I just kind of like am astounded that that is a state of the world we're in right now. That that is what we're calling a blockchain, and it it to me is so funny, considering uh, where we came from in Bitcoin and Monero and all of these places. Uh, that that or Hyperledger or any of these. You know, like I, I see a lot of people just implementing MongoDB and saying it's a blockchain. It's web scale. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, so we've been doing this for an hour. You got more time, Fluffy? You want to, like, do the show with us? Um, well, it's heading close to 10, and... Uh, oh, you got a bedtime. I have a long day tomorrow. So I, <laughs> I'm, happy, I'm happy to keep going for, like, another 20 minutes if you're happy. I'm, I'm happy to have you for another 20 minutes. Uh, so let's... Let's start doing the show. Let's do like uh, the the news of the week and shit uh, that people actually listen to us for. They're probably going to skip past the section anyway, so this is where everyone's going to start listening. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody who just joined us, uh, we're on with Fluffy Pony. <laughs> uh, let's talk about this like Russian mon money money laundering uh, thing. Let's we'll start in the middle of the notes here so that uh, we don't have to you know hit hit uh, Fluffy with like local news bullshit that we can go back to later on. So yeah, here we go. I don't think you're on the right notes. I, oh, really? Am I on last week's? <laughs> Fluffy, I have this like perpetual problem where I keep I, I join I join last week's notes and then I think they're this week's notes. Right. Uh, did you send me this week's notes? You did. I see them right here. I see, I'm in. I see, I'm in. Okay. Oh, the Bitcoin bug. That that's more like it. Okay. Let's. Uh, okay. How much do you know about the Bitcoin bug, Fluffy? You're actually the person, the perfect person to bring this on. This this week, uh, Bitcoin had a bug that was found. And uh, Bitcoin Core Group came out and said that everyone's got to upgrade from, uh, if they are still running, what is it, 0.16, 0.3? Well, point, point 0.14 point and 0.15. Point point yeah. Point Every, a lot of numbers. Uh, Fluffy, what was it? So if you're on um, any of the 0.15s um, and then 0.16 up to 0.16.2, you have to go to 0.16.3 or 0.17. Uh, the release candidate or beta or whatever it is. Okay, and what 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 does this thing actually do? 
Like, what, what's the problem that they found? So the, the Bitcoin code um, is something Shite. that Shite. obviously has, has developed over like eight years. Um, it, it was never really like well-planned, well-thought-out, you know, like how can we make this easily maintainable and yeah. so on. So there's a lot of legacy stuff in there, and there's a lot of, like, scattered pieces of code for, like, um, how do we validate transactions when they're going into a mempool, when we're rebroadcasting them, and so on. Um, and and there was an effort um, uh, going from, from 0.14 to 0.15 to try and collate some of that and to try and, and refactor it. So not to necessarily remove code, but just to let's take these multiple things and put them into one thing, um, and let's make it a little bit more modular, a little bit uh, easier to maintain. Um, and in doing so, uh, there was a um, the, there was a there's a flag that gets set um, on an output that's being double spent, um, and uh, instead of it really uh, it uh, failing because of it, you could and you could if you were a miner inflate the supply of bitcoin um because you could spend an output multiple times so you could double spend outputs without needing to go and do something crazy like 51 percent attack the chain um and this was uh thankfully not something that anyone else noticed and and took advantage of if, it, if it had been noticed is, would, would those have been valid blocks that were mined or would the network have like only right, only valid. those um running no, no, you no. know that version would have accepted them Totally valid blocks. Ooh. They would have had to have been invalidated post um, that. It would have been a complete nightmare because you can create those fake things, deposit them to an exchange, and off you go to the races. Um, and of course, given the distribution of uh, of Bitcoin code, I would hazard that there are probably in the order of hundreds, maybe thousands of um, of projects out there that are vulnerable. Well, I heard that is Counterparty running 0.15. They're running something even older, I think. Even older is good though. Yeah, older was fine. Yeah, yeah, pre 0.15 is good. Fluffy, to clarify, uh, it would have actually had to been a miner including it in a, the, including the transaction in a block that they themselves mined, right? Uh, yeah. Um. So, so one of the one of the big challenges there is um, that. Because of the 0.40 nodes uh, that existed, um, and and even older, um, it would have partitioned the network. I think. Yeah, I mean, it would have been very, very, yeah, very, very interesting. Very, 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 very because, interesting. Because, yeah, yeah. If, if a miner had found that, and I imagine that given given the circumstances, they could have essentially infinitely uh, respent those UTXOs, right? So they could have just like rewashed yes, them again and again. So what I would have what I would have seen from a miner would have been like let's say a miner's holding a million coins and they think that there's a a fifteen percent chance that they're going to win a block. If I were them, I would start I would start with fifteen percent of my UTXOs and just continually try to spend those, um, double spend those, and then continually inflate with fifteen percent of my money. Which yeah, I mean, I mean, would have been very day, very point. very messy. That would have been nuts. Very extremely messy, um, and and you know, but I mean, it's like it's like this with you know. I think it's just a good a good reminder that there's there's a lot of immaturity in in the ecosystem in general. Not not to say that um, Bitcoin is is massively immature relative to everything else. Just that everything is immature. Yeah, I mean, like 
what what given what do you think the solution would have been if a miner had found it and exploited it? Because we would have been in a really it, it would have been, been a sticky a... situation for Bitcoin having to like I mean there there would have been a lot of ethics that we would have had to violate I think. Um. Yeah, I I actually look. I, so I think that that actually no, there is a simple solution to this, right? The zero point fourteen nodes would have been the source of truth, and um, and everyone would have not everyone, but miners would have downgraded to the zero point fourteen stuff. Oh, that's interesting. Which means yeah. that well, would have been the longest chain, and it would so have it would have kicked the, off anyone off the on the network that or not yeah, kicked off, exactly. but it would have invalidated any of those UTXOs. Um, and the whole yeah. So so zero point zero point fifteen zero point sixteen would have continued being fine on the network um but they would have uh, they would just have um synced up to assuming that miners switched to 0 0.14 really quickly it would have been fine so as a miner what you would want to do is is you would want to to sell those coins quickly and then actually probably send them uh, hope and pray that you're getting uh, 0 0.14 coins yeah so you would sell you would sell them for something else you know you'd, you'd sell them for monero and uh, and then just hold that, and then once everything's reorged, then you can. Well, you'd, you'd and, have to probably uh, use. You you'd probably have to use two exchanges, right? So that you're not getting your own your your old uh, outputs. Yeah, and there's. I mean, like you'd have to find an exchange that doesn't care about KYC. Um, I mean, it, it would be. It's it's a relatively complex attack to pull off. It's not it's not something that. Um, that that Bob the, the GPU miner is going to do. No, I'm I'm just thinking about it because like what 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 happen is invariably like let's say you're an exchange and you have these outputs coming in. Um, if if a miner is continually using like let's say just Poloniex, they're going to start getting 0.15 uh, outputs again and again and again and again, aren't they? Yeah. So so and, and they would have to launder them no. for 0.14 uh, 0.14 coins. So it's it's interesting because like they probably have to use. Poloniex, convert it into Monero, get it off of Poloniex, send it to like Binance or something like that, sell it, and then get it back. And you'd have to do this relatively quickly, and you'd have to also probably monitor uh, the the 0.15 UTXO set. Well, the thing is, you wouldn't need to. You wouldn't need to. I mean, if you're washing washing the stuff, yes. But if you are not recycling it, um, you know, if you're just double, if you if you double spend a large amount, you're like, well. You know, I'm depositing a hundred uh, Bitcoin onto multiple exchanges. Then that would probably be the cleanest way of doing it. Yeah, that's true. I guess you could also just convert it to Monero and then pull the Monero off, and then just hold the Monero and until hold that. the downgrade until everything's settled. Yeah, yeah. And then, and when everything's settled, then you um, go and sell the the Monero. That's kind of the only way. To do and it. then nobody would know you did it because you guys have ring signatures, <laughs> which are magical, as we know. Huh. That's interesting. Sean, you want to sell our 0.15 coins ASAP? Because uh, we've, been, we've been pulling <laughs> off this attack for a while, Floppy. I mean, are we sure that nobody pulled it off? Is that something we're positive about? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the network would have partitioned, and we would uh, th those, um, those blocks would be easy to see because you just upgrade to 0 0.16.3 and then sync from scratch. What would have been happening to those double spends in 0.14? They would have been rejected. So point, the point, point one four in earlier nodes would have been partitioned off the network. Oh, so it would have it would have created a fork. Yeah, but because, we would, um, how quickly would we have known then? Because like I would think that we would have known about this error instantly. It would have been very inconvenient, but it doesn't seem like it would have been as messy as, as all that if it would have forked off instantly. 
How many exchanges and miners are running 0.14? Almost no one. Almost nobody, it's, but almost, you know, the 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 people that are running 0.14 are probably not paying attention to it. Yeah. So so I would imagine that I, I'm sure there's some Bitcoin um, developers who are running older versions. Um, well, uh, I think that know, most exchanges run like seven or eight versions of Bitcoin. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm sure that's that's definitely a possibility. So I, either way, we would have noticed it pretty quickly. Um, but, you know, it's, it's like, how do you get the word out quickly enough? I mean, that's that's one thing. Um, but even if you do get the word out quickly enough, you've got this other challenge of like, um, what do you, you know, what do you do next? Like, do you say to everyone downgrade to 0.14 till we, you know, until we've patched this? Um, I mean, the whole thing's the whole thing's a, a nightmare. Yeah, that would have been. To even yeah, think. That... Uh, can we talk a little bit about uh, Monero's weird issues recently uh, with forks? Given that we're talking about Bitcoin's possible fork issues, um, we've had no weird issues. What are you talking about? Everything's <laughs> <perfect>. <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, no, like you guys, you, you guys had a, you guys heard rumors that there were ASICs that were invented for uh, Monero, which doesn't surprise me. I don't think that ASIC resistance is real. Uh, I've, I've always been yeah. troubled by that rhetoric uh, by any coin, including Monero. And and I think that you guys heard that someone had developed an ASIC sort of secretly uh, for Monero and that it was responsible for a large portion of the mining on the network. So what did you guys do? You forked. So let me let me clarify some stuff there. Um, it's a lot to unpack. Um, the first thing is like we you, there there were some rumors, but the 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 big thing, the big trigger point was not hearing rumors. The big the point of inflection was seeing the exchange rate, I mean, exchange the hash rate go up. But normally when that happens, one of two things is hap happens. Like when it goes up substantially, you see the hash rate on Ethereum come down because miners are switching. The GPUs that mine Ethereum are were, at least, uh, not anymore because Ethereum can't really be done that way, uh, they were compatible with Monero's algorithm. Absolutely. A right? GPU is a GPU. So... Um, is it, so it was? Is that it, script mining? Is that what they call it? No, no, no. Uh, so it's it's different algorithms. Monero's is Kryptonite, and uh, Ethereum's is Equihash. Okay. Um, at any rate, so so it was clear that something was up because you can figure. I mean, you know how many um, GPUs are sold worldwide. It's this is not. You know, you can you can get the graphs from Nvidia and uh, and AMD. They talk about it in their sales pitches all the time. And what is that? Like ninety five percent of worldwide GPUs or something like that. Ninety eight percent. It, it's it's a hundred percent. There's only two manufacturers um, of uh, of GPUs that can be used to mine. Could you not, could so, you not use a GP like make a GPU in your garage? That's a complete impossibility. No, it's a complete impossibility. Okay, so they sell a hundred percent of the GPUs in the world. Hundred percent of the GPUs in the world, and you can look at it and you can go, okay, there is definitely something that's up because this is not follow. I mean, even if someone is buying every single GPU on a shelf today, the the hash rate is um, is not going up this quickly. Um, you know, without without AMD and Nvidia also saying, hey, we've had this weird spike in GPU sales over the past month. That that would be interesting um, to use hash rate, by the way, as a way of like in, investing in Nvidia and AMD. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a proxy for it to predict at GPU rate, sales. Yeah, yeah. Go on. At, at any rate, so so um, so we saw this happening. It was like this is now. It's clear that the rumors are true. There are ASICs. So the question is, what are you going to do about it? Because a you have a um, uh, the the ASICs are, are uh, 
coming from a single manufacturer at the time. Um, B, they're mining in secret, so they're clearly not going to play uh, play ball. Um, and uh, and C, the which is the, the sticky point, you have existing miners who um, want to maintain the status quo. So we took it to the community and we were like, hey, well, what do you want to do? And the community was like, oh, well, you know, ASIC resistance is um, is in Monero's uh, white paper, so we should, you know, be ASIC resistant. And it's like, okay, we we can try that, but the reality is that it's not something that's sustainable forever, because there there comes a point where even well, because Monero's because Monero has forward. value. Well, well, that's it, you know, and it's and and the thing is, any trick that you use, and even changing the the thing every six months becomes progressively more problematic as Monero grows bigger and so on. So, so how about like we can we can do this for now because we don't have a better solution. We can tweak the algorithm every six months to destroy um, any any ASICs that exist. Um, uh, but beyond that, we've got to figure we've got to figure something out that's better. Whether it is embracing ASICs because they are ridiculous, they they get to a point where they're ridiculously commoditized, or whether it is switching to some other new weird proof of something. Um, I don't know, but that's. <laughs> kind of where we are. Ultimately, you have to embrace ASICs. I, I don't see any other way around it. Well, I mean, maybe maybe there's a maybe there's proof of proofs of space and time or whatever that prove to be robust, you know. But, but, but you, you know as well as I do that that's highly unlikely. Of course, and we're years away from, from anything proving to be as robust as proof of work, so well, it's, or, it's not Or as simple. I mean, that's that's the reality of proof of work is how simple it is. Like, Everyone's trying to complicate it because I think they think that, like, through obtuse obfuscation, somehow they've come up with something else. But what they don't ever... I mean, it's a Casper problem. What they don't ever see are the thousand problems that they're creating by making it obtusely obs 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 obscure. And, uh, and, and the fact that only, like, four people actually know what's going on in there, and there's 16-year-olds who don't actually understand how to figure out what the problems that they're creating are, right? So, like, I, I just... Don't see how you're going to make something that's more simple and pretty much encapsulates every type of other uh, proof of whatever that proof of work does. No, I, I totally agree there. I don't think that um, that that that's that that status quo is going to change anytime soon. So then maybe possibly the the solution here is um, is wait for wait until ASICs are commoditized. Maybe SHA three. Um, uh, ASICs become heavily commoditized, and then that's something it can be switched to. And then what do you do? You just you basically implement whatever Bitcoin's proof of work is, sort of a drop in, if you will. Well, I mean, no, you you'd implement whatever whatever that that algorithm is. So I can imagine SHA three becoming um, uh, you know sort of relatively global standard. Um, it already is in many in in many applications, and so then. You know, maybe an ASIC for that a high, but, but my, high performance. My, my point is, is, is just is, the motherboards. My point is that you your your proposal essentially is to piggyback off of ASIC commoditization that occurs through, frankly, Bitcoin. Uh, you see, it wouldn't necessarily. That's what I'm saying. That it wouldn't necessarily need to be Bitcoin's. And in fact, we wouldn't want it to be Bitcoin's um, proof of work, for the simple reason that um, well, then, then you're Bitcoin, right? The minority chain. Yeah. Well, if we're the minority chain using the same hashing algorithm as Bitcoin, we're open to attacks by miners. Because very, our very hash true. rate would be like, what, 5% or whatever um, of Bitcoins. And, and, uh, but, then, but then how would you expect ASICs you... to be commoditized as a result of, I mean, there's, like, because Bitcoin is, Bitcoin is huge. And that's where I see ASIC commoditization happening. 
I don't see it happening in uh, like a lot of these sort of smaller currencies, these current, these smaller like implementations. So SHA three is not just used on Bitcoin. SHA three is is a, hash, a hashing algorithm that is used in all sorts of applications. It's used in your browser. Sure. Um, it's used sure. all over the place. So um, SHA three as an algorithm is um, is something that I can imagine they're just generally being uh, an ASIC for um, or an instruction set in your CPU or whatever. Do, do you think that CPUs will just have like an ASIC in them to do the SHA-3 if it's if it's something that's regularly needed to do? So your CPU already has an ASIC to do AES. So I see no reason why they wouldn't. Interesting. Yeah, so in that world, so that's, that's, that's interesting. So you guys are kind of like, uh, at least right now, the proposal is to wait out uh, the commoditization of ASICs of an, of an algorithm different than Bitcoin's. Yeah, and and again, I mean, like it might be it might be that in these discussions, um, when when ASIC manufacturing gets cheaper and faster and more efficient, and we're we're down to seven nanometer manufacturing or whatever, then at that point there are a bunch of manufacturers that go, hey, um, listen, we're we're kind of ready to produce seven nanometer SHA three ASICs, and no one's using SHA three yet, um, or, or no one of note. So if you guys switch to it, then we'll have commoditized ASICs for you out the gate. So using basically using like Monero or something else as a means to uh, initial sort of bootstrap production initially. Yeah, absolutely, and and just sort of like like having a scenario where where manufacturers are actually interested in doing that. What do you think of the idea of like open sourced ASICs? Open source open sourcing them helps cut, cut a lot of the design time in that, but, but it doesn't, it doesn't change actually change production time spend. or production no. costs. And, and your production costs are, you know, like here's your tape out that's going to cost you two or three or four or five million dollars. Interesting. Yeah, like I, I find the I find the whole ASIC industry to be in incredibly interesting. Um, something that, like, I think I think outside of Bitcoin, outside of blockchain, people don't quite understand it because uh, they think that I, I keep hearing the claim, particularly by economists. That there's all this computer power out there that we can use now because of Bitcoin, and I'm excited for it because of the possibility of using it for things like uh, protein folding and stuff like that. And I'm kind of sitting there on the sideline going, "What? You guys don't fucking understand what an ASIC is." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's right there it's, in the name. No, yeah, P people are very done with that. Um, I must say, though, one thing I'm grateful for is I've learned more about um, about manufacturing just from Bitcoin's existence and about that hardware, hardware, complex hardware manufacturing. Than I ever would have learned, um, you know, had Bitcoin not existed. It's it, it is it is astounding, isn't it? Like I, I think a lot of people think that like making something uh, like an ASIC is very simple. Like you could do it in your basement, or you could do it with like a, a little kit. Um, but it it's it's amazing how much it costs to spool up an operation to produce something that costs sub one penny to produce ultimately. But you got to have like four million dollars yeah. just to spool up the uh, spool up the operation. Yeah, absolutely. This is not a cheap exercise. Did you see? Uh, did you see the the debate? What's your? Well, let me ask you. What's your opinion on Bcash? Um, so I've always felt that I I I love Bcash for one reason and one reason only. It's because it gives the people who want a, who want big blocks a space to play in. That they, they, there's their safe space. They can go there. <laughs> they can build their big blocks. Then they don't need to bother the rest of us, and uh, and and they can go look how cool big blocks are. They're so amazing. 
And look at the, look, look at the big, look how big they are. They're so big. They're so it's big. Like thing with, it's like kids playing with Duplo instead of Lego. You know, look, look, Daddy, look at the big blocks I have. Great, son, that's excellent. They're so big. They're uh, they're for children. <laughs> ages ages a, zero to is B cash is B cash the Duplo blockchain? It is the Duplo blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> but I have bigger blocks. They have bigger and blocks. Yeah, it's true. Because that's the only way we can think of it. And they're you know, easier to they're, they're easier to pull apart. Yes, I want to build a castle that is. You know, three feet high. I must use Duplo for it. You know, that's, that's look a ugly, very good that point. It's hideous. It doesn't matter that it, and, and, it doesn't matter that, it, that that there's no detail. And, and it doesn't what, matter that it's not detail. And what's your rea- yeah, you like right? And what's your reaction uh, to my calling Monero MCash? Do you have deep seated? Yeah. <laughs> are you angry about that? I've been referring uh, to it as MCash now for months. And I think it's taking. Uh, I think it's. I think other people are starting to do it. So I think it's uh, you know coming around. How do you feel about that? I think it's. I think it's great. Can we call uh, Ethereum eCash? Oh no, that's already taken. <laughs> uh, yeah, like I. This whole this whole thing is very interesting to me because I I don't understand what makes Bcash any different than Mcash, um, apart from the fact that they they took the Bitcoin name on. And the airdrop. Yeah, I, and the airdrop. Yeah, I, I, I don't. So I don't find it particularly interesting from a tech perspective. Um, I do think it's great that people who believe that bigger blocks are important have a have a a, a sandpit, you know, and they can sit in the sandpit with their big blocks, and that's that is very important to me, because um, because then they they stop. I mean, unfortunately, what you know the the thing that they've now started doing, or that they've been doing the past while. Is this whole like uh, Bitcoin Cash is Bitcoin, um, which is just silly, you know? Like, like why not differentiate yourself? Why not be like we're better than Bitcoin because we have bigger blocks? Bcash, the place with the bigger blocks. Well, the way so the way and that like, I've been combating that, yeah, Bcash, the place with the bigger the duplos. Um, the way I've been combating that is I've I've been saying no, Bitcoin Cash is Monero. I, see, I'm I'm trying to distract them because I, I think that if I can get them to say Bitcoin Cash is Monero, I think that you're going to have to deal with them, uh, and and I I'm sick of dealing with them because they really are just like I've never seen people so ideologically aligned with perspectives that literally I, I can't imagine people gave a fuck about eight months ago. Like we had a guy come to our meetup a few weeks ago, and he was telling us that the reason that he cares about Bcash, he's a new Bitcoiner, he's been here about eight months, maybe a year. Right? Maybe a year. Maybe yeah. a year. And he was telling us that the reason that Bcash is important is because the original white paper references a chain of signatures. Oh. This is about Segwits. Yeah. Yeah. And I was I was like, I was well, how like... can you possibly know what that means? Like as a new like honestly, like we're talking cryptographic shit here, stuff that nobody understands. People barely understand how their password works when they go to Wells Fargo and enter it in, much less the, the notion of a chain of signatures as opposed to like a single signature or where the signature is stored, whatever. And I, 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 hear, I hear criticisms like that, and I'm like, how the fuck do you think that I'm going to take you as a serious person? No, I, I you know... So, so one thing that I have a I have a big gripe with is, um, is is some of these conversations or some of these topics are deeply technical. 
And Deeply. I, I don't even have them because I don't know shit about this technology. I know how to launch yeah, a rocket and, into and space, I, but Bitcoin, uh-uh. <laughs> well, that's it, right? It's like, it's, it's like know your strengths, right? And, yeah. and be like, well, here's, a, here's an area that I know extremely well. Like if someone says to me, hey, what do you think about um, this particular elevator design? I'm going to go, I have no idea. Because I'll, I'm I'll, probably, I'll, I'll probably tell them that I'll take on the project and, and build them like a staircase. <laughs> but I think it was like, better. You know, you play, you play to your strengths, and it frustrates me that there are that that what's happened, um, especially in the the Bitcoin uh, cash versus Bitcoin space, is they they people parrot things that other people say. They don't have the knowledge. To, to back up their own uh, opinions. Well, the frustrating. And they're no different. Sorry. They're no different to the Verge and Ripple guys who who are on Twitter who just parrot stuff that other people say. They don't. There's no original thought there. Yeah. There's no deep understanding of the technology. They're just like um, Verge is more is more private than Monero. Ripple is more decentralized <laughs> than Bitcoin. Because the, I said so. The more frustrating thing about that is that there's no way to combat it because like. You know, I know what the arguments against, like, the signature stuff. It's not a chain of signatures. There's a really simple argument to that, and it's, who cares? You know? Exactly. <laughs> who gives a fuck? What's your point? Like, I, like what, what, what's your point? Like, uh, <laughs> I don't even understand what you're trying to tell me by it's not a chain of signatures. Well, what if, what if that doesn't matter? And also, also, are we, I mean, that's like Monero being like, well, we had ring signatures in the original crypto note white paper, so we better not ever switch away from it. Yeah, the, the point of it, the point of it was, yeah, the no, point we, of it was to to maintain yes. privacy. So if something comes along yeah. that's better for maintaining privacy, you should switch to it. Yeah. So like in, in this case, it, it's not that a, a chain of signatures is not better. It's that we have to store the transactions in a different place now. And we should embrace the anything like the that. Yeah. We should embrace anything like that that is better for scalability or whatever, because we can't be stuck by, uh, I mean, ten-year-old technology. You know, you know what else is like ten years old, is like what the original iPhone. Yeah, I've, been, I've seen that. That that is. I remember buying one of the. I bought. I so I bought an original iPhone after the original iPhone. Like okay, so I had a, a Palm Trail in college. I loved that thing. Best best those. phone best phone I ever had. And when the iPhone original iPhone came out, I remember looking at it and being like, "That my my Palm Trail puts that thing to shame." Yeah. And nobody totally. believed me. I, I tell this story all the time. We were like, "That's so stupid." The Palm Trail had an app store. It had extensibility, like cards that I could extend in it. It had a, a full keyboard, full color screen. I could and, like surf the internet. Cards. Cards were basically like a full-blown database system. They were powerful. Oh, I, I was able to run an entire. I was able to build entire Excel spreadsheets on it. It had Excel on the phone, and that was in like 2001. So, like, I loved my Palm Trail. It was wonderful, way better than an iPhone. And then the iPhone came out. And everyone was telling me how great they were. So eventually, my Palm Trail broke. And I went and I got a, an iPhone, uh, the iPhone One. And this is about three years after it had come out. And I remember getting on that thing, and god damn it, the 2G, like, cellular shit was so bad. Yeah, like, I was like, is this really surfing the internet? People want to do this? <laughs> I know. It would take, like, three minutes you, for a web page to load. No, exactly. And you know what? So, so just, just, just to give an actual comparison, 
the iPhone 3GS was released in in June 2009. Okay, and that's that's like around the same time. I, I think it's fair to say um, that that that's pretty much where. Um, well, I mean, in fact, 2008 would have been um, where where Satoshi really cemented this chains of this uh, chains of blocks, uh, what is, chains what, of signatures, chains of block, chains, chains, of signatures. chains of signatures. You know. So, so like the iPhone 3G and iPhone 3GS, like if you handed that to someone today and you said, this is the thing that you're going to use, this is the only option that you have, um, the, they would go mad. I'm, what, what am I, King Arthur? <laughs> what is yeah, this, a sword? A, like, come on, give me a gun. It's, so, it's horrible. It's, it's, it's such bad technology. What's funny is that it was such good technology then. Oh, at the time, it was lovely. Yeah, remember, like, I yeah. remember, like, oh, I can, I can pinch the screen, and it's able to detect two fingers at once. Amazing. It's amazing. Amazing. The rear camera, <laughs> the rear camera was three megapixels. Oh yeah. And it was so grainy. It was so grainy, and like, you know, why? What is this obsession with like we need to use the technology from then because. Heaven forbid it progresses. Well, you know as well as I do that there's there's a fair amount of Luddism, particularly prevalent in libertarianism. I, I mean, is is, yeah. is South Africa have a libertarian uh, bent, or do you guys did you guys avoid that because it, it's stupid? I don't think. I mean, you know, we, we we've got a we've got a weird thing in South Africa where it's not libertarianism, but where basically we the government's so inept that we just do everything ourselves. I guess that's a form of libertarianism. <laughs> that's like libertarianism. It's except that you guys would rather have an apt government. Yes, yeah, we'd much rather have a government that works. We're we're still paying taxes, but we then go over and above that. Have to go do everything ourselves. Yeah, provide and, our own power. Go go get water from boreholes. Um, and from provide buttholes? our own security boreholes. They're like holes that you dig in the ground that that go that get drilled into the ground to get to subsurface water. Okay. So South Africans and, and, get money from butthole or uh, water from buttholes, and uh, we, and don't get anything else from the government. And we don't, yeah, we have to provide our own water from buttholes, <laughs> our, our own power from solar panels, and we even have to like have neighborhood watches and that because you know there's not enough money for the police department, um, and and we're happy, you know. We are unhappy in the United States because taxation is slavery. I mean, I see this with like libertarians. They talk about they talk about how uh, economics from 1830 is better because it's from 1830, and that modern economics is terrible because it's not economics from 1830. And like, it's it's utterly amazing to me that they don't think that there is like progression and science that's done that improves modern economics and, and, and our modern ability to respond to, to problems. I mean, just look at, all you have to do is look at the, 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 the 2008 financial crisis to look at how much quicker we were able to pull ourselves out of it. You can debate the merits of how we pulled ourselves out of it, but I don't think you can say that we were in that crisis for as long as we should have been given modern economics uh, sort of ability to deal with these like giant crises, and we did it quickly. Yeah. The world is moving fast. Right? Um, yeah. So anyhow, I I don't know. Do, do, is there other stuff you want to talk Oh, can you talk about Ripple? What do you think of Ripple? I want to get all of your opinions today on everything. Your opinions everything. Uh, you know, it's again, like Ripple and Bitcoin Cash are the same. Because Bitcoin Cash says um, we are more decentralized, we are better, we are superior than Bitcoin. It's slightly different, and though, because Bitcoin Cash won't sue you if you say something wrong or bad. Yeah, to 
totally. But then Ripple, Ripple says we are more decentralized. We are whatever. We, you know, we are better than Bitcoin. We are superior. And what I don't understand with both of them is why don't they just embrace their difference? Why don't they just go? Um, we think we are better than Bitcoin because we are slightly more centralized, which means we can have transactions that are slightly faster. And also we have a company behind us that has a bunch of money because we issued an illegal security right at the beginning. Hello, we're <laughs> you know, And then Bitcoin Cash can go like, we disagree with the, with the way that Bitcoin is going. Our blocks so are we bigger. Have Bitcoin Cash. It has bigger blocks and a Roger Ver. And Roger Veer, <clears throat> which, by and, the way, and, Roger Veer will be uh, thrown out of that community at some point. It's obvious to me; has to happen. Uh, you you can't you can't form a community based on um, D divisiveness uh, and dissent. Yes, without because, having divisive and dissentful people in it. Yeah, yeah. There's a really interesting <laughs> article that I, a, a write up on the failure of Nano Message. Nano Message was a fork of. Uh, zero MQ, and the reason that Nano Message was created was because there were like ten people in the Zero MQ community that disagreed with various things in the Zero MQ community, and so they forked it and created Nano Message. But they couldn't agree on the things that they wanted Nano Message to do. They couldn't. They, they didn't have a common goal. All they had was a shared hate for different reasons. So, so that doesn't lead to a common goal. And I, I just view Bitcoin Cash as the nano message of cryptocurrency. What do you think? I mean, here's, here's my issue with a lot of this. We've never really seen a blockchain fail, apart from coiled coin, you know, apart from maybe stuff that Luke <laughs> Dash Jr.'s fucked with, like stuck his dick into, um, or, or like there have been a couple of other attacked chains. But for the most part, these blockchains stick around. Maybe Karma Coin had, I think, one adherent at the end. Uh, who really wanted to make it a thing? But like, for the most part, these like we we can't get rid of these things. They're like giant tumors that sit there and they flare up every once in a while. Well, well, that's it, right? So even when you think it's abandoned, somebody digs up an old node, and uh, that you know that has a blockchain that had that was last written to like two years ago, fires it up and resurrects the project. Yeah, it's like those video games where you have like ancient wisdom that you find. Yeah, and what's funny is like, it's 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 just like articulating the state of a network, but like and and no one else is like even looking at their wallet, so they don't even know uh, that they can that they can get those coins. But yeah, I don't I don't understand it. Like I'm very I'm I'm very curious as to what will happen when we see the first blockchain failure, and I don't mean failure in the sense that it gets maybe abandoned or something. Like I think, for example, Ethereum is going to see a wide scale failure. Of the project, a total, a total collapse. It will you know, collapse. It, 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 that, that's what you. That's that's something I'm interested in seeing as well. Because that's going to look very gonna... interesting. There's going to be a lot of lawsuits. Yeah. There's going to be a. It's going to be. It is going to be a mess. Yeah. Totally. And and that's why I have on you on because I think it will be uh, Monero. Just kidding. Oh, what, just, <laughs> the, the first one. Yeah. Right. Not, not enough. There are not enough people that hate Monero for that to happen. Yeah, BitShares maybe. I thought BitShares really would be it, but yeah, it's but it's back with a vengeance. One time to another, he He's really not does. Long enough for that to happen. Man, it's... on that note, on that note, are you I going need to, to love and leave you. Okay, I yeah. I love you. Uh, we we need to engage in sexual relations more often than we have recently. So, uh, you know, uh, stay in contact, Fluffy. We'll see you soon, hopefully. Thanks so much for the chat, guys. Yep. Bye. Thanks, Fluffy. Yep. Bye. 
Yeah, so Fluffy Pony's gone. It's sad. Uh, I don't. Do we have anything else to talk about? Are we? There's some things we could keep talking about. <laughs> that was that was. Uh, Can we talk about the, de- the the debate that Jimmy and uh, Roger had on the cruise? Yeah, let's talk oh, about that. Oh my god. Um, I mean, you 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 watched it. They uh, they bombed. Roger <laughs> came out smelling like a rose. What? So I'm gonna become a bee casher. That's what's that's what's gonna happen here. <laughs> Holy shit. Well, I think it's a bad it's a bad debate to have against Roger in the context of like trying to like I, I don't know posit money theory, mm-hmm. which is what Jimmy did. Jimmy like framed it in like. The, the debate in like uh, Bitcoin Cash's fiat, which which by the way, people say begs a question all the time. Uh, this actually begs a question. Begging the question is not the question that it raises. What it means is that it presupposes a bunch of things, right? So the notion of Bitcoin Cash being bad because Bitcoin Cash is fiat begs the question that fiat is bad. Okay. Which is a completely misan idea. So, like, only a subset of people even come to the debate thinking, like, okay, uh, then, you know, the two are equivalently bad. Right. Like, it's not bad because it's fiat. It's bad for technical reasons. It's bad for other reasons. It's not bad because it's fiat. Mm -hmm. Fiat is a thing. Fiat is one kind, like, you have a spectrum of securities. They don't, there's not a spectrum of morality on securities. Some securities are... Uh, for good companies, some are for companies that I don't like. But the, like the, the security itself, or the the money itself, isn't mm-hmm. evil. Yeah. Right. It's so dumb. It's it's weird that there is this, like okay, so I I did that thing with Jimmy, um, and I learned a lot. Like he he is technical. I'm glad stuff. you did that. I think that it's great. I I think uh, Jimmy staying in his wheelhouse. Talking about technical stuff is where exactly he needs to. It's it's where he thrives. Well, I mean, least, Jimmy, if you're if listening, to, and I know you're not, like you are great with the technical shit. Stick to it. It's just, or he just needs to kind of like level up his understanding of some of the economic stuff. But but, but that but, would but, help. And it's a lot of, but a lot of it is just it's like the safeting Bitcoin standard rhetoric. I feel like it's all the same camp of Bitcoiners. Like in, in order for that to help, you'd have to accept. You'd have to accept my understanding of economics, and like you'd have to uh, believe. That blockchains tend toward a winner, and and that that isn't even proven, by the way. Like, there's no evidence of that. It's just an assertion that I've made and that I continue to make. Mm-hmm. Blockchains tend toward one winner. Mm-hmm. I think that will prove out over time. It might be wrong. If it is, that's fine. But I think that will prove out over time. And the reason they tend towards one winner is because they are all sucking the same shit to produce them to, to produce their security. Right. And that, it doesn't matter what algorithm they use. Right. It's the, energy that they're competing for. And one, because they're all competing for that energy. Yeah. So, like, so like when you all, say all blockchains you're doing, are all you're war, doing, for example, yeah. it's because these chains are, like, in... Oh, I had another it, dumb, dumb show in, up on Twitter with that, by the way. They're, they're in antipathy to each other. I mean, like, They are, yeah. That is, that is what... They, they are actually fighting for a resource, and right. it's it's cheap energy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, you know, as we see in these communities where they go into them and they suck up the free energy, that free energy actually, energy isn't limitless. Like, I think we're learning this very quickly, that there is actually a supply of energy and you can eat that entire supply. Mm-hmm. That's what Bitcoin, that's what blockchains are for. Yeah. They're for eating energy supply. And I think also, like, it belies the notion that the, that, the, uh, that the hash rate is actually a function of the health of the network. I think like, a lot of people like, will say that. It's just not. It's not because it's, it's, the hash rate goes up and down based on, number one, how many ASICs, how efficient ASICs are at hashing. Okay? Mm-hmm. Number two, the amount of energy that is uh, profitable to mine at. 
at a cost, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, if everyone got rid of subsidies tomorrow, you would see a giant, giant drop in the rate of hashing. Right. It wouldn't make the blockchain less secure. It wouldn't be an indication that the network is less healthy. It would mean that there's less energy to mine at that efficient or at that at the price at which it's profitable. Right. Right. Because like you know, difficult to adjust. The network would like adjust. It would just to be fine those, to those conditions. It would yeah. Be just, it would be just as right. You don't need more miners in order to tr to like process more transactions. Hashing is a function of the cost of energy mm -hmm. because the cost of energy is is what actually. Uh, what actually causes security to the blockchain? Right. Well, but that's what you've been saying. Like, if if, if the world is not happy or wants to do something about mining, like you, make it you, expensive. You can't make you can't make mining. You, it can't be on the mining side. It has to be on the energy side. Yes. And it has to be with like mining adjusts based on the price of energy. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Which is which is also and it's also really interesting about Bitcoin because you can get into some like quasi farty ideas of like energy uh, as like this uh, as like this. Um, it's like this variable in, 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 in like, what, what, what does it mean that there is like this relationship with, with, with Bitcoin and energy and what does that mean about like the state of the universe and things like that? But, um, you, you said someone like brought something up to you? Like you, you saw something recently that was, I see people say all the time that hashing is a, is an indication of the health of the network. Like mm. it just isn't, it isn't. And if you think it is, if you, if you are like happy that the hash rate continues to go up, Maybe you can be happy about like the production of better, more efficient ASICs, but I don't think that's what most people are, are happy about. They're more they're happier about the fact that more miners are getting on the network. But it doesn't matter. Bitcoin is anti fragile. So like if global energy prices start to increase, what happens is hashing will necessarily fall, mm -hmm. especially once you get to the theoretical limits of, of ASICs. Like once they're as small as they can be. Once we can't fit like many more ASICs on a board, maybe that's a long time from now. Mm -hmm. um, maybe ASICs will continually like maybe people will continue to grab like a higher and higher percentage of the network by like making ASICs smaller and smaller, fitting more on the boards, figuring out how to like remove uh, like dissipate heat. I think that's heat dissipation. I think is a large portion of it. I was uh, talking to someone whose idea was to basically remove ASICs from the box and uh, just put them in liquid. And just hang them into it, like it removes the entire uh, infrastructure of having to like have space for fans. You can pack like a million ASICs into a tiny little like pool sized area. Like you know, it, it, people that innovate in those ways. I mean, that's hard. You know, if you if you have experience in heat dissipation, if that is actually your background, you may be you may be the kind of person that can come here and and, and gain huge efficiencies in ASIC mining, mm -hmm. right? But it's very like the the in, the efficiencies are going to be gained in ways that will be replicable by other mines. And once you have this sort of like optimal heat dissipation facility, once you have the optimal size of an ASIC, once you have the optimal you know whatever the fuck it you, is, you just scale in size and, and yeah, and you just start replicating that everywhere. Yeah, then like, all of a sudden you have a completely commoditized service, mm. one hundred percent completely commoditized, apart from finding vulnerabilities in SHA two. And then once that's done. All you can do is is you're going to look at SHA or at at, at uh, hashing as a function of energy price, and that's mm -hmm. it. It's nothing else. Yeah. Which, which is amazing. Which is and, and and may cause us to rethink energy allocation at, at like a very high level because a lot of it is like government subsidies. Well, you just get all you're doing is like removing wealth from an area and and ex ex exporting in some other place. Mm-hmm. But you have like you have like I mean, but those are and those are those are kind of a function of like just general energy, um, 
uh, differences from, from region to region. Right. And country to country, region our, to region, whatever it is. So, like, over time, that starts equalizing out. 100%. And you just captured those 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 weird you know, yes. inefficiencies. Um, but then, but so, like, then what? Like, I, I don't, how does that affect other ecosystems where, like, energy allocation's been leveled in a way that... Well, it, it makes it really difficult to, like, provide incentives for people to come based on energy, right? Like, it, like governments are always trying to figure out ways to structure tax incentives and stuff to incentivize companies to come. One of the ways they've done that is by contracting with companies to give them, like, very cheap energy in an area or something like that, right? Um, and, and maybe that's what we want to continue to do. Maybe they'll be able to carve out those sort of subsidies for companies, but it might have to be company-by-company-based, right, rather than... Uh, just a whole county gets three cent electricity or something like that, mm. um, you know, and that that might be fine. I don't know, but there, we're going to have to change the way we think about energy subsidies. And subsidies have always worked. Energy subsidies have always worked. You can argue from an economic standpoint they cause a lot of deadweight loss that they're bad, that they that they don't distribute um, prices in in an effective way, that they cause all sorts of problems, that they actually like are inefficient. Right? You can argue all of that. That, like like you, you, you don't want you don't want the government to really have an effect there. You want things to kind of just work out on the yeah. On their but own. you've never ever okay. seen energy pirates before, and now we have them. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we don't we don't <laughs> we have energy pirates. So like now now instead of like having to like kind of like argue economically whether these things are efficient or not, it doesn't matter. Energy pirates will show up if you make your energy cheap. Mm-hmm. Is Jihan Wu the Blackbeard of... of well, I think we said that before. Have we he, said that he before? might be. I, feel, he I, might like, be. I, I don't, I don't know that, that. He, he might have posited that, but like, he might be the Blackbeard of, of energy. <laughs> I like that idea. Well, there'll be stories... Oh, yeah, we have talked about they'll, that, because like, I, I, I told the story about how Blackbeard just put sulfur in his beard and like light it on fire. Yeah, we, we need Johnny Depp to be like uh, in a new movie. That, right, an energy like, like for yeah. the energy pirates. Um... <laughs> <laughs> But like I, I don't know, like a, a, I see more of like the Austrian arguments and ideas being propagated throughout like the Bitcoin maximalist community. Well, like, you, wh- you know why though? Because it's our Bitcoin. Like our Bitcoin has completely devolved from like a place where you could go get news and read the comments and learn something to just a haven of stupidity, of economic stupidity. Mm-hmm. It is filled with every comment is about like the evils of government fiat and the, the and and extolling the virtues of like a Misen system, and it's fine. Like, people can believe that, but, like, when you you literally are in an echo chamber, guys. If you're on our Bitcoin, it's an echo chamber at this point. And I, there's a lot of things I could do to, like, fix that. I wish that, uh, you know, I, I stopped commenting there when I had that weird war where they, like, banned me for being a dick. Um, which, you know, was legitimate. I was a dick, but, like, they decided to ban me, and ban they've banned other people. And what's happened is, like, I'm not going to fight for, like, my ability to post content there and comment on it. Because, you know... I, I will let it become a haven of stupid ideological bullshit, you know, mise and thought. That's fine. What it does is it sort of decentralizes that community force. It's forced everyone down to Twitter. Twitter's done a really good job um, for us until eventually here when they start banning people who believe in stupid ideas um, or uh, banning people who believe in economic ideas that they don't agree with because they cause poverty or something like that. What's funny is Roger Veer's mentality is the same thing as like Bcash, right? Like, eh, eh, Bitcoin's going to end war. Eh, fiat's bad. <laughs> like, if, 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 if Twitter were to establish that as, like, their sort of modus operandi and believe that sort of rhetoric, then they would just ban everybody who talks about the U.S. dollar. It's, it's very funny to me. Like, the slippery slope of, like, these Twitter bans, I see where that can go. It's bad. Mm-hmm. You don't want that. You don't right. want that. The Internet's right. not a safe space. Right. 
And you you don't want it to be, by the way. You want it to be a place where you can like hurt people linguistically. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, like you don't. It's not even that like. Tw- tw- what Twitter is doing is not in Twitter's best interest. I don't or think so. Any, I don't think it's any for any social media company anyone's doing best this interest. interest yeah. thing is not, and yeah. I, you know, like, okay, so here's the thing with the Jimmy Jimmy uh, debate, along with Veer and Tone. I don't think that there were any good points made in that entire thing. Uh, Roger screamed and whined about how fiat is causing the deaths of children, and uh, and Jimmy said, you know, uh, Bitcoin Cash is fiat, and there was no evidence other than that he just kind of said it was. Um, because it's been spoken into an existence, I guess. But you know, it's it's got miners, it's got a network, it's got rules that like consensus rules. Like it's no more fiat than Bitcoin at mm-hmm. this point. Um, you can take issue with the way in which it was created, all sorts of things. But it's not fiat unless Bitcoin is fiat. Mm-hmm. It's it's a dumb claim. Likewise, I mean, Tone got up there, and Tone, I don't know what Tone was doing. Tone didn't say anything interesting at all. Uh, he just kind of he he, re, he made a lot of points that could be easily refuted, and I think I think the crux of Tone's debate uh, style or side was that he likes Bitcoin because it's more decentralized than any other crypto. Mm-hmm. So then, when asked if he would use another crypto, his response was, "No, I would use the S and P five hundred, which is my point." That's what I say, but not because it's more decentralized. Like these are conflated points. Right. The, the, the simple thing would be like, so if if Bitcoin fails, what you're saying is you would move to something completely centralized, even though what you're telling me is that your value system is something decentralized. Yeah, that's that's a really like. I, I heard that. I was like, you are so dumb. Well, it's also <laughs> it's also negative that he got the S P five hundred thing from you. Yes, but doesn't understand like he doesn't understand how it relates. Right. If if you're if you're virtue is decentralization then your response should be that if bitcoin fails you'll move to the second most decentralized project right because you're you're going for whatever is the most decentralized right. thing the yeah. s&p 500 is a scam if you believe that fiat's a scam right <laughs> it's because it's incoherent it's... tone yeah you can't have both perspectives in your head. If decentralization's your virtue, the S&P 500 is not for you. Decentralization's a dumb virtue. Yeah. You should like Bitcoin because it's more useful for certain things than currency. Yeah. Not ever, not everything. It's a good investment for certain things. It's not not good for everything. It oh. should be in your portfolio. For a good scientific reason. The reason is that Bitcoin should be a decorrelated asset. It should be decorrelated from the S&P 500, which means that when Bitcoin goes down, it doesn't actually mean that the S&P 500 is going down. When Bitcoin goes up, it doesn't actually mean that the S&P 500 is going up. Bitcoin is a decorrelated asset from it, the S&P 500. Just, just to distinguish, it is decorrelated. That's what it should be. But that is different than, let's say, Bitcoin goes down. To the moon, even more. Right. S&P 500 companies capture that value. That's a different concept than the no, price because, is because because if if for example the S&P 500 is capturing all of the value of Bitcoin in it in it, like through like uh, you know the the usage whether it's whether it's companies are regularly using Bitcoin whether they're investing in it whether they're running hedge funds whatever it is if those companies are capturing the value of Bitcoin then it will very quickly become correlated with the S&P 500. Oh, you, right, like over 
So, like, the idea is that it, there, Almost would, certainly. There, there will be a correlation effect happening maybe at some point. You want, not necessarily, but, like, you but want, you want, it is a possibility. You yeah. want decorrelated assets in your portfolio because what happens is as do you, like, when things go up, you, you want things that, like, kind of spread out your risk so that, like, let's say the S&P 500 tanks, Bitcoin keeps going up because it's decorrelated. It, it means that your wealth doesn't cut 50%. It cuts, right. you know, maybe four percent or something as bitcoin goes up yeah. and, and maybe even stays at zero and in times that are bad for the s p 500 likewise when bitcoin's going down your wealth doesn't cut in like you know 80 percent your your s p 500 gains continue to go up and likewise like they just kind of keep they support each other you de-risk yourself further the more decorrelated you are which is why indexing is a good idea mm. because you're holding the whole market, which is a whole collection of assets that in one way or another are not completely correlated. So by grabbing them all, you get about 9.2% gains. Mm -hmm. So what you want is if you can get something on the other side that's even decorrelated further from the S&P 500, you're actually de-risking yourself a little bit more right. uh, while being able to continue to capture even more gains than maybe 9.2% or whatever it is. And if so I, that's why Bitcoin might matter. Right. And if I, and just to... If I wanted to invest 50% S&P, 50% in Bitcoin, Bitcoin moons, I should allocate some of that Bitcoin wealth into the S&P. That's how then, I would do it. Because then you balance it out. That way, you know, the decorrelated, you know, the... I don't even know that it's wise to have 50% of your money in Bitcoin, well, but I, I mean, like, it's, like it's, easy, it, whatever, easy, whatever you're yeah. willing to risk, yeah. Whatever your risk tolerance is, is like, that's the percentage of your your so, value you yeah. want. Well, but that's the thing about the Austrian, these Austrian arguments, they always, like, come from this premise that people are holding dollars. Like, it always seems like... Like they talk about this stuff as if, like we are supposed to be holding dollars, dollars in their home, in their like, like under their mattress, and it's like that, that. That is never a situation that's even realistic. Never Which been the case. Seems to be well, like when Tone says the S and P five hundred, it's because like he's against holding dollars. But like that's that's a completely different. No one has ever held dollars ever since like what sixteen oh four whatever it is mm -hmm. when the Dutch Indies uh, uh, each East Dutch Indian company or whatever it is. Uh, finally issued their first share. Like that was kind of the end of the era of holding dollars. Not, I mean, I'm sure most people at that time continued to hold their coinage. Yeah. But the instant that we could start to invest in securities, in, in and people had a little extra income to invest, they did it. Mm -hmm. And and part of partly why is because the the mechanism of inflation. We are incentivized to not hold cash. Because it degrades in value. You are incentivized to hold securities because hopefully they increase in value. Mm -hmm. Right. And, th and that world changed completely in what, the 1960s or the 70s, whatever it was, that Bogle introduces the first index fund. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you can get, you can get, a, you, 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 there's that de risking and you, you capture can just the buy into the, the de-risk. You can just capture, You can capture whatever the. You're capturing the growth of America. Right. You're, you're, yeah. you're capturing like when well, an industry and, and shows even, up. Even, even big, whatever, what, something bigger than America. You're capturing that growth factor. Yeah, you're capturing the global growth of Bitcoin. Right. And here's the thing. Here's the thing about like uh, the S and P five hundred. Like, you know, the, the reason uh, Buffett likes it or whatever. Like Buffett has this great speech on how airlines. Uh, didn't if you invested in an individual airline, how you probably would have failed mm. at capturing the amazing and immense benefit of of the airline industry. Because if you think about the early days of the of the airline industry, it, it, all the companies that existed originally probably don't exist now. So if you had 
completely throwing right. your money into the airline like, industry. What was, that, what was that one in the 60s where the girls were, were, had like the Jackie Kennedy haircuts? I don't and know, like, but that's great. I know there's an airline. I forget the name. TWA. Of the it, uh, it has a name and like I, like there were, like the young American woman. They they really captured the marketing to like get women to go be um, like airline stewardesses. I don't know what I'm thinking of, but there there was an airline I think that was like the Howard Hughes Airlines. Uh, I don't remember. I may be confusing the name of. Uh, like, I think you're talking about TWA. It might be it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like so. So what he's saying is like to actually capture the effect of the airlines, it may be better to. I guess what you're gonna say is, is the S&P 500, because you're also not, because like you could have an index of the airlines themselves, but you could also have the like the, the general index, which is gonna capture the value that airline transportation efficiencies offer other people and other companies. That's gonna get spread throughout the economy. You're gonna capture that value, right? Which might be even more amplified than like relying on the in, the airlines themselves to operate or, or, or fluctuate. And remember that video we saw. Um, I, I know we're talking about airlines here, but if you're talking about the whole airline industry, you also have airports, which are government-owned, and, and it, uh, there's actually a lot of, um, like, I think Heathrow Airport's the only, like, private airport in the world that uh, operates on a profit. All, all other, all, at least the, the airports in the United States are all government-owned, and it's it's really hard to, like, make profits in some of these areas. So, like, I, I don't know. There's a lot of factors there, but... I mean, I, yeah. I, I don't know much about the airline industry, mm -hmm. uh, but, like, what I will say is that if you had held the whole market... And we're constantly updating and rebalancing. What what that means is, as as companies go bankrupt, you're capturing the upside in another company, so you actually don't lose any money. Right. If you have a billion dollars that's being allocated to like people needing to travel and buy plane tickets, that money doesn't just disappear if a company goes bankrupt, right? So the way that you capture that value is by holding like five airlines. So like when airline number four goes bankrupt, airline number two. Uh, captures all of that business, mm -hmm. or it gets spread out among them. So what you do is you continue to capture all of the business of the bankrupt airline. Now, you'd be better off if what you could do is you could just invest in the company that's going to be uh, the, the best company in every industry, but that's not very reliable for any of us to do. We're all bad at that. Right. And, like, even if, like, good, good at that is not even, like, a thing. Yeah. So, Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy, figure out technical arguments that make Bitcoin Cash worse than Bitcoin. I think there's plenty of them. I think you can sit down and really come up with a number that like you will be very proud of having come up with. Tone, stop talking. Uh, <laughs> like seriously, you're an astrologist. You you believe in you believe in the price of Bitcoin being predicted by the alignment of the moons and stars. Yeah. And I, I don't I, I think you're funny. I like you, but god damn it, don't stop debating people. It, it's yeah. it's inept. It's inept. I've never seen. I, I don't know how to how to say it. Like, the, you're not prepared for those debates because here's the thing: Roger's not using any technical arguments here. Roger's coming to the debate using nothing but emotion and telling you that you like to kill children. Now you can combat that if you want. It's absurd. The way you combat that is calling you know Roger out on being absurd. But Roger will just scream over you, and you got to scream over him to make that point. Mm -hmm. And and by the way, I wouldn't debate Roger in something that's not not moderated. I, I would refuse. Jimmy tried to like mitigate that by saying he wouldn't do it if Roger kept grabbing the microphone and speaking, not when it was his turn. But that's not how you do it. You got to have a moderated debate, like an actually moderated debate. And I think that you have to have some ground rules about what Roger is not allowed to do. Like I don't think it's okay for Roger to bring up killing children and saying you want to do that as part of these debates. It's not coherent. Yeah. And I think the, the simple, if you want to bring that up, fine. Just say, well, then, Roger, what happens when North Korea gets your coin? What happens when a despot gets your coin? 
Mm-hmm. Simple enough. Because he won't answer that. It's stupid. Bitcoin mm-hmm. is not the great panacea to peace. Anyone who's here for that needs to leave. Yeah. You're not here for that. It won't help that. Bitcoin's not going to stop wars. If it's any, literally... If anything, it may prolong them. Or, literally, or Bitcoin them is built on the premise that we are antagonists to one another. We do not get along. So how do you build a system in a world where people don't get along and can still come to consensus on the state of a network? North Korea can mine Bitcoin, mm-hmm. and they still have to abide by the rules. It's phenomenal. But it's an antagonistic system. Mm-hmm. It relies on the fact that humans don't get along. So don't tell me that this system that we've built that's antagonistic is going to eliminate wars. And if you think it's going to eliminate wars, what you have to believe is that people are going to be better as a result of Bitcoin. So what you should do, Roger, is move your chain to proof of stake or just frankly have a database and have people reliably submit things to it and then have some central authority just like sign off on the state of the network. Just do that because people are going to be better because Bitcoin. What a stupid premise. So dumb. Mm. It's so dumb and so refutable. That's not an argument for Bitcoin Cash. And fiat isn't an argument against it. Moving on. The the, the no, MIT no, blockchain course is... No. Uh, have you looked at this thing? Not, this thing's a piece of shit. Only a little bit. You you you. I, I looked at the price tag and was like, <laughs> what? You kidding? Let me for, do it for, for free. Their, yeah. MIT, Sloan, if you are not embarrassed by this, you will let me do this course. What are they teaching? There, something with IoT. I mean, like, it, it's a general blockchain shit... Well, I think that like Ripple has their fingers in this uh, the the like organization within MIT that is running this shit. Mm. Um, they're saying that they're going to teach you. Uh, they want at the end project is that you have to rev- you have to give them a paper on like useful projects for um, for blockchain. That's what they're having you. Like. I know exactly what I would do. I would give them an actual project that you could build on Bitcoin, and I think they would look at it, and I'd probably win some sort of award. Here's what I would do. I've, I've talked about this before. I think someone needs to do this on Bitcoin because it's so easy. If you're going to go to a hackathon, build decentralized Twitter, and here's how: you fork the counterparty network, mm-hmm. so you can do that very easily in a hackathon. Fork the counterparty network. All the code's written. Change uh, the the prefixes. All right, and then remove the token function. And just make it something where you use the protocol to send out broadcasts. Decentralized Twitter. Hackathon project, done. UI already implemented, completed. (laughs) You're done. And you will win every hackathon. It's a stupid project because you have to pay for every tweet. (laughs) But nobody knows that. And nobody will be able to wrap their mind around how stupid it is. Nobody wants to pay for tweets. That is actually why Twitter exists. Right. Because it's free. It's it's free. You don't have to pay for anything. You don't have to pay for tweets. You know what Twitter isn't able to do yet? Monetize itself. They can't figure out how to like get money. Well, they have to. They have to. They have to. Is this is their censoring stuff part of their monetization? I don't know what it is. I think they're. I think they might be desperate to try to figure out if this will help them monetize. Maybe because one thing that I don't know if we've covered this specific point, but like you have like the Disney brigade coming into these platforms that want to advertise and they like don't want anything controversial. I don't know why they don't just like sequester like segments, you know, like this is pornography over here. We'll put Alex Jones in well, that bucket. So you know YouTube has like a YouTube kids thing. Yeah. And I think people have been figuring out how to game those algorithms. Fine. So I don't I, I think I think I think Google just can't figure out how to have like two separate YouTubes. Yeah. Which is hilarious. I also think it's funny that on Twitter I can go look at porn. Like all these porn stars are tweeting. Oh yeah. And like Twitter will never touch them. 
because they're an underclass now. Yeah, that's right. Which I think is hilarious. That is, yeah. Like, I, I think that Alex Jones should just tap into the network of porn th- stars. I didn't, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. yeah he should just tap into the network <laughs> of porn stars and have them tweet out his shit and see what Twitter does. Oh, like, yeah. Like, is, is Twitter going to go after the porn stars? Because that seems like internet rape or something like that. Yeah. It's just, like, these are the underclass. You can't go after porn stars. They need that. Twitter's anti-woman <laughs> if, they, if yeah. they take down. Right. Twi- uh, the, the idea of internet safe spaces is so counter to what the internet is for. Mm. So counter. Well, because, like, the internet is, I mean, the ideology is, if there is one, is open communication. And it's, it, yeah, every, and, like, everybody can find somebody, everybody can find the things that they're weirdly into on the internet. Yeah, it's it, what, Rule 41? Or so, whatever, but, like, early days of the internet, it was people, like, uh, you meet a lot of people through, I mean, that, those, those were common in the early days, and then in modern day, we have, like, great platforms, like, for meetup.com, like, I mean... It's time at you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Through a common, like, thing that we were both into. Like, so, like, uh, it's not about, like, segmenting people. Yeah, you're, you're not trying to keep people out of it. You're trying to, it's more for open. Yeah. It's more for open, yeah. It is more for open. <laughs> more for open. Um, But, yeah, by the way, this, this block, MIT blockchain course, nowhere in the description on this page is Bitcoin, like, even mentioned. It's all, it's all blockchain, which which tells you, like, immediately what. Also, everything I see about what blockchain is, and I look into, like, these programs, it's either Ethereum with, like, Solidity, like, they're teaching that, or they're about that, or it's Hyperledger. It's like, that is what blockchain is, and, like, the majority of these... So they're, they're talking about interesting, from, yeah. From like job descriptions, programs, like talks I see at the, these these stupid things. Like if you dive into it a little bit, it, it's almost always like Hyperledger and or. So the professor for this course is Christian Catalini. Mm-hmm. I'd like to get him on. I don't know how I can get him on uh, on this show, considering that like I, I think that it's obvious that I am going to ask him hard questions that he doesn't want to answer. But I, I've been watching and listening to all the things he's put out. And he, the guy makes just the dumbest assertions. Things like that blockchain is better, for, it's cheaper for validation of things like identity and transactions oh, and stuff like that. Bad. Like it's it like it like blockchain offers quote unquote cheap validation. Like that, what? <laughs> it's hundreds of times more. Like when I bought when I play when I play uh, Fortnite mm-hmm. and I go buy a new skin, mm-hmm. I, I spend like twenty bucks. Oh, you oh oh you spend like twenty bucks. I have a lot of skins. So I spent a lot of money on Fortnite. That 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 free game has cost me a lot of money. So, uh, and they use they use how, how much money have you spent so far? Don't worry about it. At least a Bitcoin. But work. you see how that model is so fuck like. yeah. It's so you, you know what it was? It was social pressure. People were like making fun of me for being a quote unquote free to play. Oh, they yeah. have a name for it, right? You got, they you were got like they were chastising me, like ah, free to play. I was like, okay, so I like, you had all the default yeah. free stuff. So I, I, I was, yeah. I had to buy stuff in order to not get made fun of anymore, mm. and it worked. You know, so social <laughs> pressure worked in that. So like, it was shameful to be a person who doesn't pay for things in the game. I don't know where that comes from, and really, like, it's going to make it more fun for you. And I was like, why? <laughs> but like, like how? It, it doesn't improve your gameplay or make it better. It just makes it so that you don't get made fun of anymore. So yeah, it, it did improve my experience, but only in the sense that people stopped making fun of me for not, you know, buying shit anymore. Yeah. But I got, I got one over on them. I bought the, I bought the Samsung Galaxy Note Nine because my phone was going to shit. And I got the most rare skin in the game as a result. Oh, and it's the coolest looking. Things. So now they look at me and they're like, God, you're a god. You're a god. <laughs> like, yeah, I am. Those really rare skins are the ones that uh, that people go Dude, for. Dude, that's, that's the Beanie that, Baby that, that I want. You know? yeah. I've been collecting Beanie Babies, by the way. 
You mentioned that. Yeah, I've been, I've been like, I've been really enjoying that. Have you, have you ramped up your collection? Yeah, I've been ramping up. The, you know, like I've been, I've been looking at buying some of the more expensive ones. Like the, the rarest Beanie Baby, the most expensive one is this, like, the elusive, uh, Peanut the Royal Blue Elephant. Uh, mm-hmm. It was about five thousand dollars at uh, the height of the Beanie Baby craze. I, I just got one for about four fifty. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So you know, these are these are bags of beans uh, that I'm collecting. To put into my collection about bubbles. Mm. Also, I like Beanie Babies. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> I can just see you like playing with it. I just, I'm not playing with it. It's an expensive. Piece. It's going to go or on a shelf. It. It's a museum piece. <laughs> uh, you know, so, so that everyone can come into my office and marvel at the fact that I have a peanut, the royal blue elephant, which doesn't mean anything to anybody except people that like liked Beanie Babies back in the day. Yeah. And it's sad because I feel like a middle-aged woman. In the in the aisles of Macy's, punching another middle-aged woman, and nobody will <laughs> nobody will remember that day. That's what's so funny to me is I look at the Beanie Baby days. It's a completely different world mm. than it is today, and I don't think that people remember how fucking hilarious it was to go into Macy's when they were receiving a shipment of Spooky the Ghost and watching women who were thirty to sixty punching each other so they could get the one with the V-shaped mouth instead of the straight mouth. It's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I remember I remember people calling Hallmark every single day and waiting until like they'd be like okay so your shipment's coming in today when? Mm-hmm. We think at around 3. A line would start to form outside of Hallmark at around 1 p.m. to to like wait for the shipment because everyone had word that Thai Inc had shipped a bunch of rare Sting the Stingrays or something like that. No, that was retired before this. Uh, but, like, had shipped, uh, you know, maybe a Tabasco the Bowl or, uh, you know, something else. And it was, you know, the, the, they, they, there were rumors that they were about to retire this one beanie. So, you know, people, moms would show up outside the Hallmark and they'd go in there. And Hallmark, they, they would bring, Hallmark usually would implement rules like you could only buy two per person or something like that. So you'd see these, <laughs> you'd see these families who would bring their, like, Twin newborn babies, their neighbors' twin newborn babies. Uh, they would have their their husband. They would have their three children in high school. Their two junior high school childrens, their friends, and uh, and their their husband's fishing buddy, along with um, everyone they could pick up from the bus stop because their parents hadn't come yet. And they would go into Hallmark and be like, "I would like sixty seven of this one beanie baby." Like, you can only buy three. No, no, no. I'm buying it with these 33 and a half other people. <laughs> so, like, you will sell it to me uh, because I have this number of people right. that I that I have brought into your store. And you said two per, pe- you know, two per person. So, you know, give it to me. Ma'am, newborns don't count. I was like, where's that in the rules? So you, you walk <laughs> out with 37 spooky the ghosts with the, the straight face instead of the V-shaped face. And you'd be very happy. And, uh, and then you'd go to eBay and try to, like, sell it. But that's not what ever happened. Usually what would happen is they'd go home, they'd catalog it, they'd put it into plastic bags, and then they would wait. They, they would sit on them like gold because they were stores of value. Well, or they thought they, yeah. Bitcoins or Beanie Babies, Jimmy, were fiat. <laughs> Bancor's moving to EOS. They're leaving Ethereum, which is hilarious. It's great. Hilarious. Which is just part of, like... A lot of these projects looking at other chains. iOS is going to be looking... Every single ICO is going to be looking at other chains. Not because they're used, because they're not, Mm -hmm. but because Ethereum, it sucks. Yeah. Well, they... uh, You know, they're... they're, 
doing any of these projects on Ethereum these days, is, it, it becomes more and more of a hassle. And it's like, why not? Why why not migrate and go over to the other channel? Well, I don't, I don't know why migrate. Like, why why migrate? Why bother? Well, I think they're just expanding it to that other chain. But like, nobody uses it now. Well, they but, they, they went onto the chain with the most hype. Yeah. The most number of child users, and nobody. Oh, Ethereumon. That might be a Pokemon derivative on Ethereum. Oh. Ethereum. Um, nobody ever used it. I'm looking here. So you still have your exchange volume on Ethereum, about 1,200 people on IDEX, 900 people daily on Fork Delta. There's only 320 people every day using Bancor. That many? 300, yeah. <laughs> well, 320, 300 people. 320 users. Well, right, that so might be wallets. I don't know how they measure <laughs> that. Like, I mean, that might be six people. I don't know. Um, <laughs> one of the things that like this article that was talking about this whole thing was saying that like so, so like I haven't really looked into EOS that much um, not that it's that interesting but they have like this block producer is like their main concept okay and apparently that like I think they are doing this it's like really easy to reverse transactions on I'm, EOS I'm, really and like the article is <laughs> like that might be one of the reasons why so EOS is like even more of like a debacle of a debacle but that might be a feature that these people just start being like, well, we can we can reverse the transactions easier on 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 EOS. Yeah, and that's why we want to do it because we want to be able to like call funds back if like there's like a hack or anything like that. So like, Cause what is it? Because they can like they can like vote on where money goes and where it doesn't go. Is some that? something like that. Like like there's 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 this hype around like being a person in these ecosystems, like like a block producer. So some of these exchanges and some of these like organizations. I don't know what like that means necessarily, but there's certain people that have like the stake of the system. And I will they say I'm surprised. I'm surprised by uh, the fact that there isn't a lot of lobbying for like reversing blocks. Like if you're like you know some exchange, and uh, let's say all the miners, you know, someone steals money and all the miner like a miner accepts it. I would think that it would be the kind of thing you could lobby for and say like reproduce that block miners. And disclude this transaction in it, please. Mm -hmm. And then, like, stop following that chain. I would think that other miners would just be like totally fine with that. Yeah. Because like you, your your competitor there, whoever it is, doesn't get that reward, and like you're doing it on behalf of oh, the network. Right. I'm, I'm really surprised that that is not a thing that occurs. Right. Because you you eventually have a mechanism to to get them to to not include those blocks. That'd be really funny. Yeah. So I mean, like, I think the bank core thing is. <laughs> funny. Well, but you were saying like, like, were you saying that maybe, maybe we should like enact laws that prevent blockchain rollbacks? I think that I think that in a, if you enact laws that prevent blockchain rollbacks, I think what would happen is all of these companies that are, that are converting to blockchain would just go right back to database. Yeah, I, I, I think that would be very funny. It would be like because like what happens when you you enact a law that you cannot roll back blockchains, which is a subset of database which actually aren't blockchains, but now they're like governed by law that you can't roll them back. So you, you, so you get to decide when you implement a database. Like you could be, you could be like, I don't know, installing WordPress.com or WordPress on your server, and it could say to you, do you want a blockchain or do you want a database to be behind your WordPress site? And if you, ch if you pick blockchain, for one, it has to be there forever. It can never disappear. Mm -hmm. You have to keep it. You can never migrate it, uh, and you, you can never delete a post. <laughs> you could delete it in, in WordPress, but it will stay there forever mm -hmm. in the blockchain, and uh, because it's illegal, so you would obviously pick database because they're the exact same thing in these contexts. Right. 
And I think it's funny because I do think that someone will at some point advocate for making it illegal to roll back a blockchain, which is hilarious. It com- because it, it, the question of like what a rollback is, I don't think that a politician has the capacity to understand the difficulties of answering that question. Like, for example, if I mine a block and it's orphaned, is that a rollback? Like, I, I don't know, because that block has kind of disappeared. Like, if I, if I mine a block and include your transaction, but someone else mines a block and doesn't? Mm. Like, was that a rollback of your transaction? Well, right. It, you're, you're trying to make... An, you're, you're enacting laws on, like, how a blockchain functions. And, like, you're the, the only like way that they're The only like way they're feasible to, like, work. Like, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's hilarious. It's so funny. Yeah. It's, it's very <laughs> funny. You know, like, there's, there's all sorts of weird questions that would have to be asked about what a rollback actually is. Yeah. Because it would legally define it in a way that makes anything a rollback. Yeah. Uh, is, is, uh, is, is double spending... Is, like... Uh, what, what what's the the Peter Todd thing the the, the double spend thingy RBF replaced oh, by fee oh, oh replaced by fee is, is that a rollback is, is that a rollback is it a rollback if it's in the mempool and you pull it back out well maybe maybe, maybe there's a limit to like how far like or like well I'm just saying like like at what point <laughs> but, like, but it's a lot like, like weird, is, is it is it yeah. a rollback if you yourself replace your own transaction by giving a new transaction a higher fee right. is that a rollback yeah or was it not in the blockchain. At what point is it in the blockchain? Yeah. Is it in the blockchain when it's in the mempool? Is it in the blockchain when it's in the blockchain? What like it, right. th- it's it's very very stupid. Yeah. But I, I think that that is the world that we're going to live in because I see a lot of these uh, people developing blockchains, and the only way that you can secure them is by making it illegal to roll them back. Yeah. Because people keep talking about blockchain immutability, and if the assumption is that blockchains are immutable, then you have to requ- then then someone's going to use it for something that requires immutability. And they're going to modify it because it's not immutable. Mm-hmm. And then when they go to court or something like that to like talk about the efficacy of the blockchain as an indicator of whatever it was they did, um, they're going to have to come to grips with the fact that they have changed things in their database. And it, like someone will call for you know it to be illegal to modify a blockchain, which would be very funny. Yeah. Well, I'll especially when banks start. If if a bank implemented it, I don't want to say when because if a bank implemented a blockchain mm-hmm. or what they called a blockchain, and someone stole funds. What would happen then? Right. Can you can you give them back to the person who they were stolen from, or is blockchain rollback illegal? Right. Because if the entire reason that you're using it is because it's immutable, like you're gonna have to do something like hard code a, a new uh, a, a new amount in that person's address and disappear the coins from that other person's wallet. And it, it'll be weird because instead of it, it, it will be a checkpoint rather than like a cha- like a rather than a rollback. Like mm-hmm. oh, we could we could still find it. Like, but what's the point of having it there at all? Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, it's it's completely in opposition to what they would want that to be, which you think would make them think maybe 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 this technology it just makes no sense doesn't do what we thought it was going. So I, I've been thinking about like uh, p- possibly crowdfunding my taking of the MIT course. Just, but my, my my issue with it is I don't think that I'm going to have commerce with the person who actually teaches the course, mm-hmm. which saddens me because I would I would like to get to ask questions in a classroom setting. I would like to go up there, actually take the MIT Sloan version of blockchain course, <laughs> and like ask questions in there as he's making stupid statements in a room filled with people trying to actually learn what the tech is. Yeah. He's like, this is very good for IoT. Everyone sits down taking notes. Like, how? What do you mean, how? How's it good <laughs> for IoT? Like, what does it do? Cheap validation. No, it doesn't. Here's a calculation that shows you that it's 100 times more than a database or 1,000 times 
uh, more expensive than validation in a database or whatever. It's probably a million times more expensive than database validation. It's probably like I'll bet database validation is like one one hundredth of a penny or one one thousandth of a penny or one one millionth of a penny. Whereas like blockchain data validation, I, I bet it's like four cents. <laughs> I mean, it's more than that, right? It's whatever your like transaction fee is essentially. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, twenty cents sometimes. Well, I, I, sometimes I, validation is as much as a dollar. I mean, if you have any sense of speed of like how or or, or how like. The, the, how to validate a database is is, is is as limited as to like how fast like well, I just like the idea of validating can occur, right I like right? the so idea like, of validating like okay so I'm validating this document okay you got to wait 40 minutes we have a 40 minute block time could you imagine like saving a WordPress document or a, a, a Microsoft Word document or a Google spreadsheet and having to wait for the next block mm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> <be> so funny oh <laughs> uh, Josh Garza's in jail. Yeah, did you see that? Less time than I thought he'd get, but that makes like sense. Twenty, like twenty months. Twenty-one. I mean, that doesn't sound like. Do you think that's? Do you think it's revenge for like twenty-one million bitcoins? Maybe. Do you think it's like a religious number? Twenty-one. We have to. We have to. If you like, make, if you do financial crimes in, in crypto, <laughs> you'll get twenty-one tw months. Twenty-one months. Twenty-one years. Twenty months. Twenty-one, 21 months. Yeah, twenty-one the 20 years. The twenty-one rule. Yeah. Like the three twenty life or whatever right. that one. Do you is think that what? like Ross Ulbricht's gonna be in jail for twenty-one <laughs> years? Maybe them. <laughs> They'll release him after. It'll, it'll be. It'll be like a religious number. Like everything in increments of twenty-one. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, 21 probably is going to have, like... Dude, it's going to have religious... It has to. It has to. Like, because numbers, that's how we are. We're religionists. Right. We have to find patterns. Like, Tone's going to be like, it's the 2100th day since Bitcoin's release. Mm -hmm. So today, I expect it to moon. Yeah. <laughs> Based off of these triangles <laughs> and this BART pattern. Man, so did you hear that Alex Jones, he lost his PayPal account yesterday? Yes. Oh, my God. Can you believe that? No, but yes. I. Uh, I mean, I, I, I think I, I can believe it. I can believe it next. I can believe it now. But that's what you say. Yeah. I think. That. Why, why? Why not just go through the back page thing, or, or like what would happen to back page with a well, credit card know, processors? I want to know. I want to know. Like, what is this? So, like, uh, what you you as a processor disagree with the ideology of the company that is uh, that is processing transactions, so you ban them? How right. does that not trigger like an interstate commerce like violation? Well. So I read the comments of these places, and a lot of them are saying, "Well, they they, they he violated their terms of service," which is hilarious because it's the same people who like are like, "Oh, terms of service are terrible because it requires like a lawyer to like understand." Why does it, okay? So like, here's like, here's the thing: if I'm a cake shop <laughs> and I don't want to make gay cakes, uh, can I just put a terms of service that you have to agree to before coming in the door that like if you're gay and you want a cake that's a gay cake, mm -hmm. I don't have to make it for you, and if you demand it, I can bum rush you out the door. Right. Would that be okay with all you guys saying that like he violated their terms of service? Is that fine? Because that's what you're asking for. That's the world you want to live in. Mm -hmm. That you got to sign a contract before you enter a shop. That's an agreement to their terms of service. Mm -hmm. I don't even think that terms of service are legally enforceable, frankly. Right. I mean, it seems like most terms of service aren't. You don't even read but them. Nobody reads them. But there's Do you know how many terms? Like, this is this is the joke of South Park and and the Human Centipede. Mm -hmm. Like nobody has ever read a terms of service. You know, everyone's looking at PayPal and be like, "Ah, oh, it violates the terms of service." I'm like, "When did you ever read their terms of service?" Right. When? How would you even know that? And like the thing is, now they're now they're they're okay with that because it's these businesses and they're they're using the, they're kicking people off. He, they're cutting him off for violating those terms of service. And it's like, don't you guys think that maybe these maybe if that maybe these terms of service can be used to cut cut you off but like no one ever thinks of that way like no one ever thinks well of they like just don't believe it like that's the thing so like 
we don't want guns because the government will never be tyrannical. That's that's like I hear I've heard that. Like you think the government will be tyrannical? That's disgusting. And then Donald Trump becomes president, and what do they say? That like we're headed for genocide because he hates Jews and blacks. So like okay, like I don't think that's true. I don't think that we're headed for genocide. I don't think Donald Trump hates Jews and blacks. Mm-hmm. And I also don't think that like I I don't understand the mentality that you think that like government will be good forever because it's good today. Mm-hmm. Or that people generally will be good forever, and I think that there's a lot of reasons why we have phrases like, "the uh, kindness is is what is it the the the, the road to what, what's a phrase? Oh, uh, the road to hell is paved with good, good intentions. intentions. The yeah. road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah, that's a, there's a reason that exists. Right. Fucking phrase. Fucking. <laughs> <laughs> I had it in my head, and then like yeah. the incident I was about to say it, it just dropped. Well, out. because it's it's because like because math on the air coming yeah. up with like these like. <laughs> Well, it's because these things these things seem like the right thing to do, but what what they impl- like? Well, the, the the idea of having a place that's safe for discussion seems, mm-hmm. in and of itself, a first principle that everyone should get behind. But it's a bad first principle, and I've said this before. The problem, like I said this on Sasha's uh, podcast, freedom of speech is the most disgusting right we have, and the reason that it's codified as a right is because it is so disgusting, and and it has to be codified because of how evil it is. Mm. It's so bad that we have the freedom to say anything we want, uh, except for a few carve-outs that may be good or bad, Mm -hmm. I don't know, but except for a small number of carve-outs that the Supreme Court has has, has carved out, we are allowed to say anything we want. Mm -hmm. That's disgusting. Right, because people say terrible things. People say terrible things. It's disgusting. So it is a right that nobody wants their the people saying disgusting things to have. Mm-hmm. You want to be able to silence them. The beauty of the right is that it preserves your right to combat them with good ideas. Mm-hmm. It is a right of redemption. I've said this before. Yeah. But the people that are say bad things need to be need to be contended with. Taught right. That if you want to change that, if you want to change. Those the only way to, the people, only way to have, have to commerce them. with ideas is to have the freedom to have commerce with ideas. Mm-hmm. Now, I hear a lot of people saying that like conservatives should be deplatformed. I think that's because those people think that conservatives have ideas that resonate with audiences, which they do. Mm-hmm. And if you don't believe me, go watch Steve Bannon's debate with the Economist this week. Oh, I didn't. I didn't even hear about that. It's what amazing. Happened? Yeah, dude, it, it's a it's a Jordan Peterson Channel Four moment all over again. Really, the lady goes up and she, she doesn't so listen to a thing he says. She screams at him the entire time, interrupts him, doesn't let him finish sentences, and the guy just kind of like manhandles her. And I don't mean that in a sexist pejorative way. I mean that in the sense that he takes her by the hips, turns her around, and, and intellectually suplexes her, <laughs> and she doesn't have any idea how to combat it or the fact that she like beat it at the end. Huh. I want to watch that. Does he make does he make like good points? Like yes. what do they even talk really? Yeah, they talk about like huh. she talks about how like this this nationalism he advocates uh, is is racist and disgusting. And then he's like, "No, white supremacy is racist and disgusting." Richard Spencer, all of these people that are are like the people you call alt-right, they're disgusting people. They're white supremacists, they're Nazis. I don't like them. And she's like, "Well, you you're you're trying to get rid of uh, the matriarchy. And he's like, I have two daughters, one of which is in the army, one of which, you know, whatever. I know I know a thing or two about raising strong women. I don't know if I hate the, the matriarchy. I've just never seen it. And as far as, like, I'm concerned, what we have is kind of okay, and what we have to do is protect our national interests. That's what he says. All of that sounds very reasonable, and it comes off as very reasonable. 
Yeah. And I, I'm like, I'm, I'm sitting there listening. I'm like, wow, she's getting just destroyed in this debate. Wow. If you listen to that, you'll you'll walk away saying that you are a nationalist. It's it's not. I don't know that it's as convincing as like a Jordan Peterson is mm-hmm. uh, pr- presenting like what are imminently because it's imminently reasonable points. He's presenting a, a, a debate that you can actually have disagreement with, um, which I think is good. But it doesn't sound as radical as they make it out to be. And he decries the racism of the people that they say he's aligned with. Mm. That's really interesting. Yes, I'm, I'm gonna probably tonight watch. It's that. amazing, that. and like, huh? But that's I mean. It's interesting that Bannon is, is doing that and having a moment like that. But, like, by more of these platforms, including PayPal, which is a big deal because I don't know how much of, like, the money stuff comes to Alex Jones through through, through PayPal, but, like, it could go to credit cards next. Like, like I think that I think that what's going to happen is Visa and MasterCard are going to disasso- dissociate themselves mm-hmm. with Alex Jones. Which he's going to probably end up in the Bitcoin world. If he's not somewhere there already, maybe I'm really, really scared that no one's going to act litigiously on these bans. Someone needs to litigate it. Mm -hmm. It needs to be litigated. I need to see what the court does with this stuff because I'm utterly afraid of what happens in a world where this is accepted precedent and that we don't actually try to stop it. And I'm even more afraid of a world in which we try to stop it and the courts don't adequately handle it. But I think right now there is a presumption by good, upstanding people who think America is a good place, which I'm one of, that thinks the court has the capacity to handle these problems. Mm-hmm. And I, I am one of those people. I think the court has a capacity to handle these issues. I am afraid that they might not. Mm. And I am, I'm waiting for someone to litigate them so that we can see whether the courts are capable of handling them. If they're not, we're headed for a world of hurt. Mm. A world of no redemption, frankly. Because this is the last bastion where well, this that is Well, this is the tilting towards evil. Mm-hmm. This is what it looks like. This is the tilt. And because if you, it, because if, the if, courts can't do anything about it, then what's stopping any conservative or anybody with an opinion that goes against whatever being cut off, not just from a, from a social media platform, but their credit cards... Decline B- banking. I mean, at, at what point does Alex Jones like lose his banking relationships? And if you don't think that this is a slow encroachment, you're wrong. It started with the Daily Stormer. It started with these neo-Nazi websites that everybody disagrees with. Mm-hmm. So what do they do? They started there. Now they've moved on to Alex Jones, the Proud Boys. They moved on to Gavin McGinnis. You don't. And 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 here's the other thing. They have to. They have to move into the other side as well. So they will start going after these Antifa accounts and other people, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to squeeze. So on both sides, it has to, because they can't be seen as biased. Mm. So they will come for the other side. So it's 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 a sh- it's a shrinking of both sides, just moving. It's just closer. that right now, a lot of like Silicon Valley, I think, is in the safe space culture. Mm-hmm. So I think that they're very far left. They're not quite Antifa, right? So like, what that means is they have to bring the right, they have to silence the far, far, far ideologies from their own. So you have people like Alex Jones, which represent an ideology that is so far from their center that they will ban those first. They don't see what's wrong with the other side yet. At some point, they're going to get to a place where they say, oh, there's bad people on both sides. 
and they're going to ban you know some antifa accounts they're going to ban ben shapiro they're going to ban david Crow- uh, stephen crowder they're going to ban like you know uh leftists that uh maybe advocate for sort of like you know i don't know alexander ocasio cortez or something like that the the, the turk guy the Turk guy. Oh, did you hear what Young happened Turk? to him? I don't. I don't. I haven't followed that, but I know that that is like a left leaning. It was. Show. It is. He's yeah. still on there. He just got. Uh, he just got removed from a number of organizations because if you look, he wrote a number of essays back in like 2001 when he was quote a conservative uh, about how he was walking down the streets of New Orleans on a uh, in you know uh, during Mardi Gras and groping women and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> like other things about how women are stupid and like very red pilly type stuff. Well, so it's 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 the it's the they they they're eating their own with the all the sexual stuff. I I don't know. Like maybe, I'm, maybe, I'm looking maybe, at maybe, like maybe I, I don't what know. He wrote was kind of bad. Well, Chick like, Wager, like Chick Wager is like uh you know he's 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 a, a a weird guy. Like he's he's now a leftist. He's doing his like Young Turks thing, and apparently he was a not just a, a right winger but like a grotesquely grotesquely uh, problematic guy. I don't think he was actually a right-winger. I think he was just a grotesque man. Um, I don't know that he's any better, but like now he's got left views, so like he's forgiven more easily. Mm. Uh, Cory Booker is another good example. Cory Booker is a senator. He's, on, he's, he's currently on the panel looking at, uh, at Kavanaugh. In okay. his book, he talks about like groping a chick. Okay. In his book... <laughs> He like talks in his talks. own biography, yeah. yeah. But like he's here well, talking, he's like he's, he's like on on the panel of people going after uh, the Supreme Court justice that's like nominated right now, who's currently undergoing like allegations of like sexual harassment and rape or rape attempt, uh, surprise sex, and uh, and and he himself has a whole thing in his book about like groping a chick. Huh. So I don't know. It it seems like there's. It, it, there's utter forgiveness for people on one side and, and utter disdain for people on the other, no matter what. And I, I don't know if that's if that's solvable. I think that there's a rift in this country that is too big to solve. Uh, it, uh, frankly, I think it might just be too big to solve. I, I don't know where it goes from. Well, here. that well, so that was. Is it is it that it's always going in one way? Where like right now it's the left that's doing it, or is there like you said that like there may like. Well, where where are the conservatives right now? So and think, the conservatives uh, tend to be in politics. We have Trump. We have like these. these I don't know that Trump is a conservative either, though. Like, well, I, okay, I, I know, but like the problem have, with politics is this: mm-hmm. on a battlefield, you have a plane, a literal plane. You advance toward one another, and you stop at a certain place, and you stab each other. Mm-hmm. Right? In politics, you have what looks like a battlefield, but it's ethereal. It's in the air. It, it doesn't actually exist. So the advancement never stops. You just keep advancing toward one another. There's no way to like pull back. There's no reason to pull back because there's no arrows, there's no knives, there's no guns. So you just advance and you radicalize further and further as in response to the other side because you never resolve it with the conflict. It's like it's 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 like edging. <laughs> it's like constant edging. You but, never you never finish you never finish the thing. So like you have to constantly move towards radicalization. I think in a bipartisan system. I don't know. That seems to be what I'm seeing. Political edging. It's political well, edging. Well, well, with edging, I think most most you you edge that you eventually do come and you eventually do stab. You don't necessarily. But, but you might just edge you might, you, indefinitely. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's indefinite yeah, edging. It's an indefinite edging. Uh, yeah. Maybe it's even like what's what's the the uh, the 
some people will you know go and then uh, erotic asphyxiation. No, not erotic erotic asphyxiation. <laughs> it's where they'll like you know they'll be able to go multiple like men who have like multiple orgasms. Oh, uh, tantric tantric orgasming. Oh, okay. Maybe that's Maybe what's that's going what, on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's no refractory period, right? There's, there's, it's just like it, they just keep going. Yeah, that's a, but there is no refractory period here. That that is what that is the is. problem. That's what I look at. I'm just like, there's no pulling back from this. So like, okay, so you have the right like marching toward the left, and the left marching toward the right. And what what happens as a response to the left's like identitarian politics is you have a, a, an arm of the right that jumps into identitarian politics. Mm. And I don't know, like maybe Jordan Peterson is the solution to that. Maybe the like notion of hope and satisfaction being like the goals of life are what we need to combat that. I don't know. But if one side is working on themselves and trying to remove those sort of resentful identitarian ideas from their ideology and the other side continually advances down the road to identitarianism, I don't know where it ends. It just gets worse and worse. Mm. It gets worse and worse and worse. And, you know, like all of this is part and parcel of like... Uh, you know, the Me Too movement, everything is part and parcel of sort of the left's advance. And and it's hard for me to, like, see good in it. Mm. Good in any of these, like, left movements. Even though some of them probably are striving for good things. Right. The intentions are good. But, the intentions are good. But it's being used... But the, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Right. And, and uh, to... I mean, Alex Jones was coming from these companies and, like, their left ideology. The, the other side, you have the government... I mean, I don't want to go down, but like, so talking about like Cody Wilson, for example. Oh yeah. Um, oh, that's that's weird. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't really know what to make of the whole situation. That well, happened there's a week, couple things here. No, there's a number of things that look like conspiracies, right? Conspiracies mm -hmm. are stupid because, for the most part, they're not real, mm -hmm. but occasionally they're real. And the problem is that, like, when you have conspiracies that are real mixed in with bad conspiracies that are not. Like, your propensity is to just believe all the conspiracies. So with Alex Jones, he says that these companies are coming for him. They say that's a conspiracy, mm -hmm. and then they come for him. Well, what does that do to the rest of his portfolio of securities? You might as well accept them all and index securities. Or index index all of the conspiracies, <laughs> the right? Conspiracy Everything, index. Yeah, that's right. Conspiracy indexing. <laughs> like, you have a portfolio the Conspiracy index 500. Well, that's what Alex Jones is. Alex Jones is a conspiracy index. Right. Because if you hold them all, you'll get the one that is that actually happens. Yeah. You'll actually believe the one that's true. And then you could point to it and say that my entire conspiracy portfolio... Well, much of them might not actually become true. Much of them are true, mm -hmm. and it goes up by 9.2% per year. So um, you don't need 100% growth. You just need 9.2% of them to be true. So now we have, like, Cody Wilson happening. And the Cody Wilson thing is, is pretty simple. Like, the accusation is that he had uh, sex with an underage girl, paid her mm -hmm. uh, 500 bucks, and then, like, went to Whataburger. Yeah. Right? Th th through some website is how he met her. Yeah. And, and What's the website? Uh, shit. It's called, I don't know. But it's that's like not, that's, that's it, not it. it. It's not, but it's supposed to be for like sugar well, daddy. It's like sugar, sugar daddy. Sugar daddy or something. Yeah. So for like wealthier guys to meet yeah. younger women. And uh, and I, I I've done my research. Okay. I have made my phone calls. I have asked around. I have talked to my uh, my friends who are frequent perusers of paid women, mm -hmm. and have asked them about these websites. And they're like, oh yeah, this makes perfect sense. These websites are in fact targeted right at his demographic. So. I have assuaged my doubts about the possibility of him using that site. I think it's very likely that he, that use he uses and use that what, site. What about his demographic makes it make sense? Apparently, it's just easy as fuck. 
Because like a guy like Cody Wilson is, I mean, he's he's, he's thirty. Here, here's the thing: relationships like, relationships are hard. Mm-hmm. They're really hard. You, you're accountable to somebody. You gotta, you know, like talk to them. They gotta, particularly for a dissident. What are you gonna find? Like, what kind of women are the kinds of women that stick next to a guy who like is producing guns, doing dissident government things, and could go to jail and jeopardize your life as well? Well, he's a guy fighting for certain great things. Great women are not going to generally be the ones that aren't going to flip well, on you in court. Well, he's not the guy that you're going to settle down and like have a family with, which is you might you might if you find a, a person of equal mind, but, but like how many like how many men are willing to like if you were to graph the the men willing to take a risk, the people on that graph that are willing to take a risk by going like the possibility of going to jail or making the government itself come and sue you 21 attorneys general sue you like that is a different kind of risk that is on the far right distribution of but risky that, but that's why he's an attractive guy yes but then when he does get picked up what's going to happen to the woman who is in the middle who's in the mean of risk distribution like even if she's on the high end for women, she's not going to stick by that shit. She's going to do whatever is self-preserving. Probably. Almost always. Well, if she becomes most she, men she would be, be self-preserving. She might become a liability. Most know? men would be self-preserving. Mm-hmm. You're, you like that's a far dis, far right distribution kind of thing. He I mean, is he is on the far wing of risk taking. Mm-hmm. Almost no man is there, much less women. So, like, it's probably difficult for him to, like, date people. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's why he uses a site like that. Despite the fact that women might be lining up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, yeah. That makes sense. Maybe. I mean, that's just, that's my thinking on it. Well, I, I might I, be wrong. I can tell you why, like, no, 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 but it's interesting to have that perspective because, like, why Why would a 30-year-old guy who's doing what he's doing... No, I have a good authority it? that he does date, but like, he does date and has girlfriends and exes and all that. So, like, in, in you know, like, yeah. But I mean, like, I think for most men in general too, like, it, why not just have a transaction, it's just a easy. financial it's transaction? It's so easy, to, right? Um, it it's easier. It's easier than like dating because like it's the the the, re, the transaction. It's very transactionary, right? So you mm-hmm. go to a hotel, you do the deed, you pay for it, you leave, and then you you're never done. have to talk well, to her again. Well, right, and then you can they don't have to think about it. You can move on. There's no baggage. I mean, even if you're there's a guy, no, there's no you, crisis. You don't have to get her a gift. Even if you're an attractive guy payment. and you're just looking to go get your dick wet, you she's have okay to, with going to Whataburger. Right. Find me. That's the other one. You still have to like, like talk. She'll, you can take her to Whataburger and she'll be fine. Yeah. Um. But like, so so what happens? The terms of service. <laughs> of this website <laughs> indicate that you have to be above 18 years old. Right. Which she wasn't, apparently. She wasn't. She was but, apparently 16-ish. But, like, that's so fucked up, too, because, like, if I took a girl home from the club, can I sue the club if she was under 18? I don't... The terms not, of service are bullshit. I think that's the, the, the lesson here. The terms of service don't matter. Mm-hmm. So PayPal can't ban Alex Jones for violating his terms of service any more than MeetSugarDaddies.com can, ba- can can sue this girl for putting one of the guys like for 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 representing herself as eighteen and uh, and and you know him committing a sexual act with her that like terms of service are bullshit mm-hmm. they're bullshit and you know so like I I don't know what the situation is with Cody right mm-hmm. I don't know what he did I don't know what went on in that hotel the the story the legal story is that uh, he violated the law in this way she told her counselor her counselor was a mandatory reporter. Uh, the counselor then turned over his name to the police. Voila, we find ourselves here today. And you said that psychological counselor types 
are, have a mandatory obligation that in cases of, of I think of what, I, particularly they, they school, actually have to school it. counselors in the case of abuse, underage, uh, you know, they have to report it to the authorities. Mandatory reporting. It's it's at least in like Minnesota that's how it works. I uh, only thought it was like if, if there was like a self harm social workers type of situation. No, no, no. If there's abuse, like for example, if if you are in a situation where you go to your teacher and you say, "My mother hits me." That teacher is obligated to report it. Well, teachers make sense. But teachers like, are obligated, but that's what mandatory reporting. I think mandatory reporting is the same for everyone who's a mandatory reporter. So if you say my mom hits me and it's a mandatory reporter, they have to report it. And this person was, but she was like a counselor. Apparently this person is a mandatory reporter. A counselor, I think a therapist might be a mandatory reporter in, to some no, but extent. But that's the thing. Like, who, do you, who, who can you tell your problems to that isn't a mandatory reporter then? Well, like, what, well, what, well kids, don't have, like kids don't have problems. Kids just have problems that kids have. Kids have things that we need to protect them from, so they don't have problems, right? So, like, when when she, when you tell something to a counselor as a sixteen year old, uh, you know, that it's going to be told to mom and dad, or no, I don't know. Um, I, I I don't know that there's a lot of options for children to talk to somebody that isn't a mandatory reporter and has training to do psychological things. And I think the reason is is because as a society, we've decided that it is better to go after people that cause psychological harm to children than it is to pre- preserve and, um, or the, it, the damage done by them is worse than the damage that getting them to stop would do to the kid. Mm. Well, it's like if you have a problematic parent, it's then, better to remove the right. parent instead of like trying to fix and then, the relationship. And then you and then just you kind of and then you fix the kid after all of that's done. I think that's the idea. I don't know. I'm not. A, I'm not a therapist. Yeah. I'll trust it's therapists. Just, they're, they're they're pretty good. They're amazing people. Uh, but like, I think that's the idea. But I don't know what's happening. Like Cody Wilson, uh, to me, this is this like again with all of the things happening with like Alex Jones. I don't know how you don't go right down the conspiracy train with this stuff. Right, because it seems like this was just week, this was just a couple weeks how ago. How convenient! After the how convenient that he like happened to do this, <clears throat> and like not they have they have they had a way to go after him. Like, I mean, maybe maybe that's not really what happened here. That might be the conspiracy, but like it's hard not to. I, like, I had two instant reactions to it. Number one was, "Fucking Cody, you fucking idiot! You fucked up! Mm-hmm. You fucked up! Holy fuck!" What kind of idiot are you? And the other was like, who set him up? So I have these, they're very competing. Mm-hmm. They're competing. And I, like, I don't know what the actual story is. I'm very curious as to what it is. But those two competing narratives continue to go on in my head. Mm-hmm. Because even if it was a setup and he did the act, you fucked up, Cody. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's a setup from beginning to end, that's, that's fucking crazy that's crazy town yeah i i just it's a weird world where i i don't <laughs> i think conspiracies are stupid but I, I i don't i don't i don't know well there are conspiracies that happen like it's very obvious that jones being removed from the, the all of the social media platforms at the same time that's a conspiracy mm-hmm. i can sink my teeth into that one obvious conspiracy mm-hmm. like they definitely happen. Now, the question is, do you believe them after you, you literally witness them? Or do you believe them in like as before they happen? Mm-hmm. Right? Like before they're revealed, before it's obvious what's going on. Because like saying that the social media platforms are coming for for Alex Jones, I mean, there were plenty of arguments to be made that they wouldn't do anything. They would just kind of continually suspend him 
and let him continue to operate. But like when they come after him, then the conspiracy becomes reality. Mm-hmm. So like that one's believable now. And what like when did it become believable? Was it believable beforehand when he was claiming it? Did he actually have knowledge? Or did he kind of was it sort of a self fulfilling prophecy? It's a very different thing. And in some ways I think it's a self fulfilling prophecy. But I am watching sort of the shrinking of the Overton window here, where you have like one side and you're saying, like, this is the cutoff for ideas that are unacceptable. And for the right wing, it's always been unacceptable on the right wing side to be a Nazi, for example, or a white supremacist, or a member of the KKK. Those have always been things that are off limits. That's a bridge too far. Now you have the left sort of moving that needle and saying, well, now conspiracy, right-wing conspiracies are also off limits. Mm. Um, you know, and you're narrowing the scope of discussion. And again, like I said, at some point they have to, they'll have to do that with the left. Maybe, yeah. They have to. I, I don't, they have to I, look like they're fair. But, yeah. I, I don't know what's worse. It just goes in one direction or, or it happens it has to both. come in both. It has to come in both directions. It has to get there. Mm. If, if they continually go at... Like, the McGinnis thing should be, like, a real problem for everybody. Gavin McGinnis getting banned from Twitter and the Proud Boys. In, oh. With, with mm. a giant news... Uh, a, giant, a, a giant distribution of news to all of the outlets saying that they were banned before they participated in Charlottesville, which they had nothing to do with. Right. I don't know anything about the Proud Boys, frankly. I thought they were a white supremacist group based on what, like, everyone was telling me. But they're not. I don't think they are. And they... but. Twitter banned him and then was like, oh, we're banning white supremacists ahead of the, the rally. Yeah, such as the Proud Boys. Right. Yeah. Well, or, or they didn't even need to say that. It was just, it was just the implication. No, the, the articles are Proud Boys banned ahead of Charlottesville. Right. Well, it, it just becomes a, they're going to paint anybody. It becomes a big problem for everybody. Like, this is, it's <laughs> very scary. It's a, like all of this, all of these things happening, it's weird and it's, my favorite one this week is on 4chan. I saw them say that ahead of ahead of Halloween, they they want to make uh, skeletons, uh, white supremacist symbols. Oh really? Yeah, with like <laughs> with hilarious memes like <laughs> inside we're all <laughs> inside everyone's white. <laughs> <laughs> like on the inside we're all white. On the inside we're all white. <laughs> it's like, it's like, I was looking at they were so funny. Oh But man. They, this has been highly effective. Like uh, you saw it with uh, in a couple weeks ago. Everyone was going crazy over that girl who was like in the Supreme Court hearing, and she was making the OK symbol. Oh yeah! And apparently, it's a 4chan joke that OK stands for white supremacist because you can flip it around and it, it's WP. Right, like white power. Like yeah, the white. Yeah. So like, you have a lot of people that think that that's real. That's a white. Well, the, the news reported on it, and Twitter, everyone was going crazy about it. And what's really funny to me is that OK, uh, the humor of it for me is that they're trying to say that Trump is a is a fucking white supremacist. You can know that because of the OK symbol being used. OK comes from a presidential campaign. Really? Yeah. History of the word OK. Wh- which presidential what, campaign? Was it Truman? Like, because like this had to be this had to come into existence at one yeah, point. Yeah, it was. It was in okay. like the early 1900s. Like, how long? How long has the word OK been around? Like, there's the phrase OK since like 1923 or something like right. that. Right. Not that. Not that long. Not, it's not deep in not, not deep in English. Not deep in the English language. But that's really funny, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay, so there, here we go. <clears throat> the Oxford English Dictionary. There have been numerous attempts to explain the emergence of the expression, which seems to have swept into popular use in the U.S. during the mid-19th century. Most of them are, are pure speculation. It does not seem at all likely from the linguistic and historical evidence that it comes from the Scots expression of the okai, the Greek, <laughs> ala kala, 
It is good. The Choctaw Indian Oka or Oke. It is so. The French Okaya from Okays, a port in Haiti uh, with a good reputation for rum. Uh, or Alquai <laughs> <laughs> to the Quay, as supposedly known by French speaking dockers, or the initials of a railway freight agent called Obadiah Kelly, who is said to have written them on documents he had checked. Interesting. Uh, a more likely explanation is that the term originated as an abbreviation of oral correct. Really? <laughs> a jokey misspelling of an all of all correct, which was current in the U.S. in the 1830s. The oldest reference result uh, from its use as a slogan uh, by the Democratic Party during the American presidential election of 1840. Their candidate, President Martin Van Buren, was nicknamed Old Kinderhook after his birthplace in New York State, which is a southern state for the purpose of this conversation, so I can do a southern accent. And his, uh, that was a terrible southern accent, by the way. And his supporters <laughs> formed the OK Club, which was the first white supremacist club in America. Wait, does it, wait, does it really <laughs> No, that doesn't say that. This <laughs> undoubtedly helped depopularize the term, though it did not get President Van Buren reelected. The only theory uh, with at least a degree of plausibility is that the term originated among black slaves of West African origin and represents a word meaning all right, yes, indeed, in various West African languages. Unfortunately, historical evidence enabling the origin of this expression to be the finally and affirmed establishment stroke uh, may be hard <laughs> to unearth. <laughs> I misread it, so I had to pretend like I was having a stroke. <laughs> well, <laughs> it sounds like okay. I was, I, I was starting to read because I hadn't read it before, so I was, I was, I was thinking, about, like, on air, I was going to be, like, proven to be wrong about the, like, origins of it. But no, in fact, I am... Correct. Yeah, it is a presidential thing. Yep. Even farther back, Van yeah, Buren. Van, Van Buren. And it may have other meanings that pierce all So it starts as cultures. a... Uh, it, right, it, right. It's, it, it's it starts very... as a, uh, a thing for Van Buren. It ends as a racist symbol, also uh, committed by the President of the United States. Okay, mm -hmm. white power. Uh, I think that's everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, man. Yeah. I, I think we could talk about everything else You know, next well, week. Yeah, we'll talk about it another time. Stablecoin announcements, Stellar and Chain. That one I'm excited about. We'll talk about that. So if you want to listen to this stuff uh, next week, we will talk about more interesting things, such as the Stellar and Chain acquisition, which I'm excited about because I think that Stellar is going to PAMP! <laughs> I'm waiting for it. Big PAMP. Big PAMP! Big PAMP, Big PAMP and Stellar. Uh, that's my hope. Tone Vase has not validated it. Dude, I think that we should do a Tone Vase character that like tells us what the alignment of the planets is and therefore what Bitcoin's <laughs> price is going to be. What do you think about that? There we go. That's a good How one. How about I, Tone Vase? I'm, I, I'm looking at the stars today. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, like, I'd, I'd have to be hilarious. Uh, something about planet alignment, price of Bitcoin, price of EOS, you know, shit like that. Yeah, and they have to charge 0.1 Bitcoin I, to teach one people Bitcoin. how to read, how to read yeah. the stars. I, you know, something like that. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Man. I wish that I was getting paid to do astrological predictions. Yeah. It would be so much easier. That said, uh, Sean, tell me where can, people, they can, where can they find you? Uh, aside from Can4... That's uh, where I. That's where I get in touch with you or, most or, days. Or so. or we're like Twitter because like you're on camp for this morning. It'll show like Sean. It's time I, to do the show. Yeah, I can post nudes on Twitter, so that's good to know. That's good to keep you in can, mind. Yes. I forget yes. about that. I forget you about can. that fact. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Ethereum plus Coin Dojo on Telegram. 
And this is John Seth. You can find me in the Ethereum Plus Coin Dojo. I want to thank Fluffy Pony uh, for sticking his dick in John Seth's world. That was that was, in my opinion, the best interview I've ever done. I don't know if that's true. I just <laughs> it's a low bar, so uh, it wouldn't matter if it is true. But I, I actually thought that was highly insightful. I think there was a lot of stuff in there that we talked about that I've actually never heard him comment on ever with regard to Monero, uh, sort of like a historical discussion of Bitcoin, et cetera. Um, so I'm very, I'm very happy about that. I hope that you all enjoyed it as much as I do. I think that that honestly is worth one star. If you can go to iTunes, give us one star there. Uh, that would be highly appreciated. I don't want anyone listening. We're at around, uh, we've been depleting in listeners. We're at around 200 uh, listeners per show right now, maybe 250. If we can get that down to 100, I think that is when I'm all in on Junsus World. I will buy everything. I will buy all of Junsus World. I will wait for Tamoon. All right. So if we can get that down to 100, I think that that's fine. Uh, go to go to Apple iTunes, rate us one star, say something extremely unkind about Sean's butt hair, uh, and I, I think that that's I, I think that I think that that will be your good deed for the week. You don't want people listening to this. Thank you for contributing to that ear saving sort of activity. Rating us a one star. All right. Uh, this is John Seth. Check out the Deuce of the South. The Mass is ended. Go in peace. St. Catherine, pray for us. That song is sung. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that what he says? Is that what you he mean? Says, yeah. That's that, a sign off. That song is sung. <laughs> I do like his content. All right. Yeah. I got to go sit on Sean. Bye. <laughs>